Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN, joined as always by my guy Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him at CJ Saftik on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for the big UFC 278 card taking place in Utah. Salt Lake City, Utah, but it's actually headlined by Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards in a rematch of a fight that took place in December of 2015. That night, Kamaru Usman cashed as a minus 240 favorite. Let's see if he can do that again, but now as a minus 360 favorite. Before we get into all that and that snaz and then breaking down these fights, I want to welcome back my guy Cody Saftik, who's coming off a very fun and successful trip down to Nashville, doing some regional MMA work down there. I missed you last week. We caught up a little bit, which is why we were a little bit late with starting the show here. But I just wanted to pick your brain and see how things went down there in Nashville. But if you want to give any cliff notes to people of how your experience was down there, you're more than welcome to do so. But I'm glad to have you back, my friend. No, I'd urge you to go down to Nashville. It was awesome time. Great people. Great Southern hospitality, as they always say. And I definitely got to experience that firsthand. And then the fights were good. Shout out to my boy, Clint. Unfortunately, he got owned on those lines he set. But oh. yeah, that's the biggest takeaway is that sometimes you're down there. You see these people firsthand. You get to like feel that experience. You see, geez, this guy had COVID two weeks. You see, geez, this guy's got a torn meniscus. You see that stuff live. And you also see that Jacob Coburn totally changed his life and is, uh, you know, given his life to God. He doesn't really want to find anymore. But you see that. Us at home, what we see is UFC veterans. Contender Series veteran, PFL veteran. You don't see that he doesn't really want to do this anymore, right? So, uh, yeah, I was that inside knowledge. But but the biggest takeaway from the entire trip, I can now 100% confirm Keith Peterson smells like Sigs and Booze, baby. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Inside info that you'll only ever get on propping you up. I love when it. When Cruz said that, I thought it was Sour Grace. But, like, he wasn't lying. <laughs> totally ended up being true. On the same night that he ended up getting knocked out by Cheeto Vera. So, totally... Uh, Straight hey, to the universe words. It was, uh, I think it's Mike Beltran on his social media has been kind of plugging Keith Peterson and saying, oh, this guy's in like a rock band and all that stuff too. He's a metal head and you guys should go check out his music. And I'm like, of course this guy smokes cigarettes. Look at him. Dude, Smoke Sigs is like five foot four. He looks like, uh, you ever watch King of the Hill? You know, Hank Hill's father-in-law, Cotton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, just like that. And yeah, all tatted up next. Has uh, wearing shorts, but you'd think they're pants. That's how low they run to the ground, wow. like like punk ass from the old tap out days. So, uh, yeah, super cool guy and, uh, you know, fair referee, no doubt about it. But uh, I just, yeah, it's go out in the world and meet people experiencing. So Keith was a good guy. The whole crew down there at Aries Combat Series or Aries Fight Series was good people. And, yeah, they're going to go on to bigger and better things. And then last but not least, it's good to we see a lot of Canadian talent. So the Canadian talent develops. They go over to, we were talking about three of them on the LFA card this weekend. Mm -hmm. Sporadically, you'll see somebody in PFL. Sporadically, you'll see somebody in the UFC. Um, but it, it's good to go see, you know, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Virginia, like that pocket of talent for sure. So lots of talent coming out of there. Yeah, I was just talking about the other stream that I was just on. Is like I miss being around regional MMA. Like I miss that 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 just fire of these guys that are like hungry to make it to the big show or the old veterans coming in and just trying to beat up these young up and comers and stuff like that. I I miss that and I'm kind of jealous that you got to kind of experience that with the with the Tennessee thing here that you're doing. Uh, but also shout out to LFA, right? Like you said, they're bringing on a lot of Canadian guys on this card that's coming up, I believe tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, you know, TJ Laramie's younger brother taking on a, a 
tough guy in his matchup. But Adam Asenza, you know, a, a pretty much a Southern Ontario MMA mainstay, a guy that, you know, a lot of these promotions usually bank on to go out there and sell tickets for them because he's been around the game for so much. Now he's finally getting a solid big opportunity headlining the LFA card. Maybe if he wins here, he finally gets that shot, but he's getting up there in age. You know, the record isn't the, the prettiest, at least the sexiest, right? But uh, interested to see how that one pans out. Anything you want to say about that LFA card at all or about any of those Canadian fighters on that card? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about tweeting something out, but we've also got a PFL on Saturday and the UFC on Saturday. So the way my top tickets are being owned, I want to try to keep it as precise as possible. But yeah, no, in terms of props, I think there's some good props on the show. It is called Propping You Up. However, we might have to change the name to Totaling You Up because there's some good totals on this card as well. <laughs> but in terms of LFA, yeah, Tony Laramie, he's the better of the Laramie brothers. And TJ really ain't that bad, guys. Let's be real. So I think yeah. that Tony goes out there and probably uh, runs through this kid. On the other side of things, we've got... Uh, uh, Tishie Guthro, again, solid striker, good grappler, been working on all the skills. Niagara top team's got a, quite a few guys on the card. So I, I would say not only props to LFA for bringing them all out, but props to LFA for giving them fair matchups. Sens is the one that I would be a little worried about. But again, when you look at his record, he's typically getting beat by guys that are knocking him out, guys that are heavy-handed. And I don't necessarily see that from his opponent. But uh, in all honesty, I thought he lost the Cody Fister fight, right? So that's not a good place to be starting off. Um, yeah, I, I would say maybe avoid that one. Bank on the other two Canadians. And then LFA stuff, or sorry, PFL stuff. I'm going to try to tweet something out about that. I looked at the card today. Like, again, the prices are inflated, but there's maybe a couple value spots. And perhaps the best underdog on the entire card would be the guy fighting Bubba Jenkins. Um, that kid hits, man, and he's hard to hold down. So, like, plus 245, maybe that's your value play. And then, of course, this UFC where I'm mostly trying to avoid apple pie shitters, right? Yeah, exactly. Fucking O'Day Osborne last week, right? Like, God damn it. Okay, <laughs> I, I, this, I was on the NAM side. I'll say this on the NAM side, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the last thing I will say is, like, I, I didn't fully see it because I was away from my phone for the majority of the weekend, but I heard I caught some flack. And, like, all we can do is really realistically look at what we think they're going to go do and what yeah. they're capable of going doing, right? But there's two cases last week in that screen, things that are out of our control, we'll never be able to control. Odie Osborne may have been able to win that fight, but the dude just launches a flying knee from 10 feet out for no apparent reason and gets caught. So it's like, did I know he was going to do that? Did I think he was going to do that? No. Could he have won that fight? I think so. Uh, I don't know as much as Daniel Cormier was talking him up, but he was in it. <laughs> he just made a bonehead move. And then the Lupita Godinez fight. So I, I moved her down, right? I moved her down. I feel like I, that wasn't as damaging to me personally as Ode Osborne. But all the same, here's a girl that's hot in the division. She's on a win streak, right? Everyone's talking about her. She looks good. And then she takes a fight on relatively short notice, sick and injured, doesn't even try to take her down. How could you foresee that thing coming? Unless you knew them, right? So the inside advice is always the best because you at least you're going to have a little bit of an indication of she's going to fight Angela Hill and she's only going to take two takedowns. It's like, yeah. You know, she's a minus 300. She knows that, right? Because like the entire game plan should be wrestle, right? You look at Tate, the path of victory is wrestle. You and I will sit here and suggest she can win this fight if she wrestles. And then she just doesn't do it and loses. Yo, out of our control. So this week, not only do we need to bring our A game and have the good information, we're going to need some luck just like every other week. Hopefully it's going to come through though this time. There we go. All right, let's just quickly go over the cloud bat props from this past week. Obviously, Cody, you weren't with us to go over them, but I will just quickly plug them here. Uh, we had the Cruz Vera total significant strikes. Uh, it was set at 189 and a half. The under hits there at 153. Uh, obviously, Marlon Vera getting him out of there in the fourth round helps in terms of cashing that under. Uh, first round winner. This was an interesting one to me that Dominic Cruz was actually the plus 125 favorite to win round one on all judges scorecards, and he did. 
So that was definitely definite value. So shout out to anybody that got in on that bet there. Uh, Marlon Vera knockdowns over 0.5 was minus 143. He got three, which included that finish that he eventually got in that fourth round. We also had a USA main card performances uh, score total that we've been doing here on CloudBet. They said at 24 and a half for the four fighters that were on the main card. Uh, and you cashed it in the first fight with Gerald Mirshard going out there and getting that finish. You cashed the over 24 and a half at minus 107. They end up with 35 total points, uh, especially considering that Nate Landwehr went out there and got a decision victory as well. And then lastly here, main card uh, takedowns, total takedowns. There was only seven. So the under 11 and a half hits there with relative ease. Not too many takedowns in that uh, main card. And it hit like I said, with relative ease there. All right. Uh, shout out to CloudBet. Make sure you guys check out their platform in the link below. You guys can get all these types of special props through CloudBet. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of great ones for UFC 278 that we'll be talking about throughout this card. So keep your guys peeled for that. And then lastly, shout out to betonline.eg for supporting the show as they always do. Check the link in the description below. They will match your initial deposit up to a thousand bucks. So make sure you guys go check them out. Last thing I want to plug here, and it's actually going to be integrating right into the show, is the all-star, or sorry, yeah, we did have a couple of these other props I do want to quickly go over. Uh, Cashwara, fastest finish on the main card, plus 1,700. Absolutely smokes Ariane Lipsky. Fight of the night, uh, Nate Landwehr and uh, David Onama cash out plus 1,200. And then lastly, fastest finish on the entire card, still came down to Priscilla Cashwara, plus 3,300. So shout out to anybody that was able to cash in on those spots. The last thing I wanted to plug here, and like I said, it flows right into our show, is the All-Stars app. They are trying to become the one-stop shop for you guys to go out there and get beautiful graphics like these and beautiful insights and details that you want to know about every single fighter. You can find it on their app as well as their website, but they're definitely going to be providing some of these screenshots for us now for the tail of the tape so that we can get a little bit prettier with some of the graphics and stuff that we put onto the show. So that leads us right into the first fight. Victor Altamoreno going up against Daniel De Silva in terms of odds. We're currently looking at minus 165 on Altamoreno and plus 140 the return on Daniel De Silva or Daniel Lacerda. I, I just still don't know what name we're going with for this guy because one place I see Lacerda, one place I see De Silva. The All-Star has De Silva. We'll go with De Silva for the sake of this uh, episode. Um, I, I love this fight. This is a fun fight. You want to talk about a fight that's going to get the crowd off their feet right off the bat? This is the fight that you put on first because these guys are going to bring the heat. Daniel De Silva, never seen the judges score cards in 14 professional MMA fights. He's either gone out there and got the finish or been finished himself. I don't even think he's seen the third round in his professional MMA career because that just goes to show what his style is. He goes out there, he's a banshee in the early going, and either he can get his opponents out of there or he gasses out and his opponents can eventually finish him, just as we saw in the uh, Jeff Molina fight. We saw his cardio drop off heavily after that uh, maybe the third or fourth minute of that fight. I'm expecting to see the same thing happen here with Victor Altamoreno as Moreno, you know, or Altamoreno, I should say, sketchy takedown defense. That is obviously going to be the knock on him here, but I like how he nullifies the amount of success his opponent's going to have from top position. I think he can uh, create the scrambles to get back to his feet, to get back to his striking where he'll likely have the advantage. And I think he'll be able to keep this fight going long enough that he'll wait till Daniel De Silva starts to slow down and then he eventually gets him out of there. I do love me some Victor Altamoreno here. I personally got in on his money line yesterday at minus 168, not realizing that the market was pretty high on Daniel De Silva because 
as soon as I made that bet, I looked over on uh, Bet Online and Bet Online got him down to minus 150. So there's money coming in on Daniel De Silva over the last couple of days, but I still feel quite strong about uh, Victor <clears throat> Altamoreno. But in specific, in regards to the, the, the props, I love the under two and a half. It's currently around minus 175 on most spots. You know, when you get these fighters like the, the Harry Hunsuckers that we're going to be talking about later, the Daniel De Silva's, the guys that go out there, you know, try to get the kill or go out on their shield, you always like to bank on that fight doesn't go to decision or the under two and a halfs. That's what I'm going to be doing here. Minus 175, under two and a half. You can throw in some round props as well for Victor Altamoreno if you want. Round two, Altamoreno plus 450. Round three, Altamoreno plus 900. I'd take some sprinkles there, but the majority of my money is going to be going on Altamoreno as well as the under two and a half. Am I not selling De Silva enough here, or do you think do you agree with me that Altamoreno is the side? Yeah, typically I don't like betting unders and flyweight fights, but in this case, yeah, Daniel Lacerda just does it for you. Either he finishes the guy in extremely quick fashion, or he himself gets very vulnerable and gets finished. No shame in getting knocked out by Jeff Molina, but again, it's a flyweight fight, and two rounds into it, we've seen guys like a Richie Lang take 175 concussive blows. <laughs> But again, Daniel Lacerda topples over, and that's kind of his game. He is the striker, so striker versus striker does not work out for him. And then him against his Figueredo, he scores the offensive takedown and then immediately gets snatched up in a knee bar. So is his striking his bread and butter? Does he want to go back to his ground game? I don't know, but it all screams the under. Under two and a half, yeah, that makes the most sense, minus 175. Fight don't go the distance. You're going to have to pay some extra chalk. It's minus 220. But that seems, seems a little bit safer because we know with Victor Altamirano, he's going the entire time, and that might not lead to a first-round finish. Maybe he gets him out of there in the second. Maybe he gets him out of the third. But it could be in the later in the third. And I honestly hate – doesn't happen that often. But I honestly hate when you get those late third-round finishes on under two and a half. You knew the fight wasn't going to go the distance. You knew it was going to finish inside. But you just get, got over that two and a half minutes of the third-round uh, barrier. So – Maybe I would pay the extra chalk there. The official pick, though, I got to go. Same thing as you're saying. Victor Octomorano. I was actually tempted on that second round prop. I, I see him probably getting him out there in the second round. But all the same, it's going to have to be a cumulative damage because Daniel Lacerda is fast. He strikes extremely hard. But we go with Altamirano. Uh, in all of his pro losses, amateur and pro, never been knocked out. Been submitted with a few rear naked chokes in his day, but never been knocked out. So if he can take the damage standing, come forward, he's going to have the volume. He's going to have that ability to slowly break him down. In terms of his takedown defense, I hear what you're saying. He gets taken down. But Carlos Candelario, stud. Guy's an actual stud. Yeah. Right? He's got excellent grappling. And when you look at Carlos Hernandez, huh, I'm high on Carlos Hernandez. This kid can do it all. Those guys were able to take him down, and neither of which were able to hold him down. I have no reason to believe that Lacerda would be able to take him down and hold him down either. So I think ground game is going to end up favoring towards Altamirano, who's just going to tire him out. The more scrambles there are, the more takedown attempts there are, the more you know he's working to get back up or he's working to take you down. It's just going to fatigue Lacerda, and eventually he's going to clip him with something. So there's, there'd be a lot of ways to attack this. For me, either you can go with Altamirano by TKO. You could go pay uh, more chalk and go the Altamirano inside the distance. You could try to chase that second or third round prop like you were suggesting, or you could just take this fight not to go the distance. And it covers you in case he gets hit with a spinning hook kick or something. Because <laughs> by the way, Lacerda likes to throw caution to the wind. But yeah, we're mostly on the same page here. We got the same guy. We got this thing not going the distance. You're chasing that under two and a half. I can see it. Don't love it myself personally. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, we're, we're basically talking the same narrative here. 
further to the uh the Altamoreno takedown defense, right? Like it's it's sketchy, but you know, Carlos Candelario went five of sixteen on takedowns that night. Carlos Hernandez went two of nine on takedowns with not much control time either, right? So you can get him down, but you're gonna struggle to keep him down. And that's where I think that Lacerda will struggle and we'll eventually see him take over as his card gets better. And not to mention the big narrative going into this card. Elevation, right? Utah. That's kind of what everybody's been saying this week. Elevation, elevation, elevation. That will definitely hurt the Silva's chances of winning this fight. Continue, please. Yeah, well, I was going to say there's another excellent point. It's that Altamirano has been taken down <clears throat> seven times. But yeah, there's very little control time in there. And then Altamirano and his two fights that have been recorded for, you know, uh, fight metric, let's say. He's averaging six strikes per minute. Well, having gotten taken down seven times, right? Yeah. So the guy's got volume for days, and that's what I think will be the difference maker standing. And then on the ground, I think you know either either hits a sweep, uh, sweep, sorry, or he just quite simply makes him work and tires him out. There we go. Uh, I do see my guy a true true shot here, saying that my volume is much lower than Cody's. I'll get through this next breakdown, then I'll quickly see what I can do to fix that. Um, but I do appreciate you bringing that to my attention. All right, let's get to the next fight, though. Let's keep the train moving along. Next up, we're going to be talking about a, a, a bantamweight fight, sorry, between Jay Perron and Arichi Lang. In terms of odds, we're getting minus 140 on Arichi Lang and plus 120 the return on Jay Perron. <clears throat> I don't mind Jay Perron in this spot. I'm going to say it right off the bat here. Plus 120 as an underdog, you know, a guy with grappling upside and a wrestling upside. If he can go in there and kind of take what the, the Cody Durden game plan and blueprint was to beat Orichi Lang, I think he could be successful with it as well. Now, don't get me wrong. Durden, on paper, probably the better wrestler than Jay Perron. But I like what I saw from the regional scene, uh, from the Jay Perron side of things, right? He's taking down and controlling guys that are like legit veterans on the regional scene, right? One of his opponents, Johnny Cupcake Campbell, uh, a guy that he's able to take down and pretty much control for the majority of that fight. Uh, I feel like he can do the same thing here against Arichi Lang, who's coming up in weight. That's something that needs to be kind of stated as well. But I do like uh, Prawn's ability to grind this out. And I don't know if you've been following his Twitter or anything. or <laughs> Oh, yeah. How could totally you not? Fun. He's everywhere. This man is just on fire. This guy yeah. is jacked up and ready to go for this fight. I hope he manages to back up his words because I think he could come out looking like one of the best underdogs on this card. Um, uh, Arichi Lang, very durable, very tough to put away, which is why I kind of lean more so with uh, Perron to win this fight by decision, which currently sits at plus 250. I like it, man. I like the fact that he made the move over to Syndicate MMA, you know, before the last fight or two fights ago. I think he's really getting comfortable over there. And if he can finally get a solid training camp in here, I think he can show us some better skills compared to what he showed in the Mario Bautista fight. But even that fight, <clears throat> big underdog in that fight, managed to make it the full 15 minutes, took some big shots on the chin. Um, I think his durability is there. Arich Lang will likely have the striking advantage here, but I don't think it's going to be to the point where, you know, he knocks him out or he just absolutely butchers him on the feet and wins a decision. There's going to be a lot of grappling here, and I think Perron will be successful in being uh, that that top heavy grinder that he can be and that we've seen on the regional scene. So give me Jay Perron, Jay Perron by decision. What are you thinking here? Yeah, again, seeing the same thing earlier in the week, you could have got him maybe about that plus 150 range, but the Himba decision prop still looking good. You mentioned 250, but Vada's also got it up right now, plus 275. So lots of value there if you think he'll go out there and use that wrestling game plan. And I don't think there's any reason to believe he's not going to. Both times you've seen him in major fights, his fight on Contender Series against Dwight Joseph, he got four takedowns. He did lose, but he got four takedowns and showed that physically looked strong in the clinch. And that was my biggest takeaway. I was all over Mario Batista. That kid's my boy. Jay Perrin going to go out there and absolutely get beat up. But 
physically he is really strong in the clinch. And of course he goes out there and gets a pair of takedowns on Mario Batista as well. Not easy to do. So I think that wrestling and grappling is going to be his upside in the spot against Orichi Lang. <clears throat> Orichi Lang, when you think about, you know, what's a stylistical matchup that could be applied applicable to this situation, just like you mentioned earlier, the Cody Durden fight. Because of five takedowns against Cody Durden, he does excellent at times in the striking exchanges, right? It's his inability to keep the fight upward is what loses the decision for him, right? Whenever Durden wants to get into the ground, he's able to successfully do so. That fight's at 125 pounds, right? This fight's at 135 pounds. Jay Perrin was out there grappling with, with Mario Batista, who's like compact and dense for 135. Big, strong guy, right? So the fact that he was able to go out there and have success with him, if you go and you look at him in the regional scene, like, as you mentioned, you know, success against decent guys on that level, I think that he'll be able to go out there and grab a hold of a Richie Lang and, and, and take him down. Um, the only thing I'm a little bit concerned about is like, I don't know when this man has time to train. Because he's on Twitter all goddamn day long. <laughs> I mean, he's talking one hell of a game, dog. Burn the ships. I am coming for you. So uh, the only thing I didn't like is his one tweet was like, I'm going to prove everybody wrong who got that underdog money on me. It's like, no, 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 no. You're proving them right. You're proving, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're proving people right. No, what are you talking about? They're backing you. <laughs> um, uh, I like him. I like him. He's fired yeah. up. He's motivated. I don't think he's got anything to lose. And I think wrestling is going to be the key. So on a, as we know from last week, dogs are going to come through. Need to get some dogs in some spots. And I think Jay Perrin is one of those guys that'd be classified as a live underdog. And plus 275 by decision. Not bad. So that's where uh, I'd be headed. Yeah, I like it. T take the money line, take the decision. I think they're all good spots on Perrin here. Hopefully, he can back up his talk that he's been doing on Twitter. Uh, also, if you guys can let me know if the audio is sounding a little bit better. I did try to turn up my mic just a tad bit. That would be great. Let me know in the chat. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. And the next one is Amir Albazi versus Francisco Figueiredo. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at heavy chalk on Amir Albazi. He's coming in at minus 435, plus 350, the return on... I can come up with so many names for this guy. Walmart Figueiredo, Dollar Store Figueiredo, uh, Figueiredo Light, you know, whatever you want to call him. I, I, I just... He is the the worst brother than than Davis and Figueiredo, right? Like Cody, me and you have been around the sport for so long. We can name so many brother tandems where the brother is just so much better than the other guy, right? Herbert Burns, Valentin Overeem, Alexander Emelianenko. You know what I mean? All these names. And as much as I love these brothers, Ninja Hua, right? Like he never really achieved the success that Shogun Hua achieved. That's what we're getting with Francisco Figueroa. Sure, he can go out there and get a knee bar against a guy like Daniel Da Silva. And sure, he can, uh, you know, get a couple of decent wins. The, the Jerome Rivera win, okay. But, like, he's he's getting beat by a guy, Malcolm Gordon. And you know, at this point in time, I, I love Malcolm Gordon as much as the next Canadian. But we know that he probably won't be, you know, uh, high up in, in terms of getting uh, solid wins inside the UFC. Not to mention he is scheduled to fight Mohamed Makayev next. Uh, shout out to my guy, Michael, or Malcolm Gordon, for actually taking that fight. But in this matchup with Amir Albazi, I, I love this Albazi kid, right? 14-1 and one record, 5 KOs, 7 subs. This guy always goes out there to fight to always try to find the finish. 86% finishing rate. I think the kid is the truth. His boxing is coming along. His striking is coming along. But he gets his best work done when he's able to get these guys to the ground. And that's where I think we're going to see him succeed here against Figueredo. Figueredo is a guy, in my opinion, who really starts to slow down later in fights. And considering the type of uh, onslaught that he's going to be facing here from Amir Albazi, I'm expecting him to eventually break later on in this fight. So I'm leaning Albazi here. 
I don't mind like anybody that looks to like parlay him in this spot. I get a minus 500 a little bit. It's a little bit crazy, but I think he's one of these surefire spots on this card. Uh, and I think he actually gets the finish as well. You know, I'm, I'm kind of back and forth, whether it's going to be KO or TKO, but him to win inside the distance is plus 140. We're getting on plus money for him to go out there and get this finish. I think he's absolutely capable in doing that. I think the Jumagula fight was, is going to be way tougher than what he would have is going to end up facing this weekend. And uh, yeah, this is a big step down for him. I just hope that he remains more active than he has recently, right? Like he's been off for about a year and a half now. Last time we saw him was January 2021. But if he can stay consistent, this guy is a guy to keep your eye on in this 125-pound division. So give me uh, Albazi. Give me Albazi inside the distance. Plus 120, like I said, great line. Am I too high on Albazi here, or are you feeling the same way? Yeah, this one's the, the fight that I don't really have a great prop for because I, too, like Albazi, I think the money line is a little it's crazy. Sure, it's a flyweight fight, minus 500. But, yeah, I think he's the rightful favorite, and I think he gets the job done. Instead, I'm not figuring out how he gets it done. I'm tempted to just go that fight doesn't go the distance, which is about even money, plus 105 in some spots. So maybe you can get a little bit there. Uh, thinking the same thing as you're thinking, Albazi catches him. But I, I don't know. Does he knock him out? Does he decision him? Does he, you know, does he submit him? Like, I, I don't know. Figueredo, what you do see on the regional scene, is extremely limited. He doesn't look all that good. He's definitely not his brother. You nailed it. Like, outside of the Diaz brothers and the Noguera brothers, like, the pair, the sibling pairings... Not so good. Joe Lozon's got a brother named Dan Lozon. Yeah. Jim Miller's got a brother named Dan Miller. Valentina Shevchenko got a sister named Antonina Shevchenko. The list goes on, people. Uh, wasn't there a, sorry, wasn't there a Cole Miller and he had a brother as well? Uh, Micah Miller. Micah Miller. Micah Nef Miller. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. Micah Miller, the Maverick. Yeah, no, the list does go on and on. I mean, I know, you know, Muhammad Usman just won the Ultimate Fighter, but there's another <laughs> the champ. Yeah. One's, uh, he just won tough championship. Can't take that away from him. But you know what I'm saying with the upside. So yeah. in this case, yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I just don't know that he's his brother. He doesn't got the same dynamic power. He doesn't throw the same output. He doesn't got that nasty guillotine choke. He doesn't seem to have the strength. I'm sure he's training at an elite level. I'm sure some of that coaching is eventually going to rub off on him, but we just haven't seen the improvements there. So yeah, Albazi beats him, but again, it's flyweight. And, and unless one guy was chinny, I wouldn't consider Figueroa to be chinny. Like then I, I don't know that he just topples over as much as he might just take a beating in there. And so there's no value on the money line. And I'm very nervous about any of the props. Like I said, maybe fight doesn't go the distance because it's plus 105. But again, it's a flyweight fight that I could see being a, a one-sided fight for Amir Albazi. But all the same, I could see Figueredo holding on, doing what it has to do to, to survive if need be. So don't love it. But uh, yeah, I think cardio is a big thing. Who had 125-pound gases out? <laughs> Nobody, right? That's up. And Malcolm yeah, was losing the fight. He was losing. And then all of a sudden, it's like Figueredo is like... <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this guy's completely cooked right now. So he pushes a little more a pace, a little more pressure. What you saw in the Albazi fight with Malcolm, it's like he could have knocked Malcolm out, but Malcolm's BJJ black belt. That fight hits the ground. Albazi's all over his neck like nothing. He's got excellent grappling, this kid, and very much he can do it all. The thing with Zalgazuma Gulov is you could hit him in the head with a frying pan. He could take it. So yeah, maybe his best shots bounced off him, and, and maybe his best shots will have a lot more effect here, sure, but Again, the pick is Albazi, but I don't really have a great answer for you in terms of like a good prop for this fight. Uh, I do want to shout out my guy Paizo DFS here saying Albazi round three plus one thousand, not bad. Like something uh, like that you could see coming through. Just tire him out and put some pressure yeah. on him, right? 
and DHJC saying uh, Rashad Evans and his brother. I didn't know Rashad Evans had a brother that fought MMA, but I remember but a we- fighter. Yeah, and he was awful. You know, like bad shape, a big guy, and toppled over. Wait, wait, he was on the Ultimate Fighter. He tried out for the Ultimate Fighter, didn't get okay. through. He didn't get through. Same thing with uh, Clay Guida's brother, Jason Guida. He yes, missed weight. That's he and he's like, dog, I can make it. And it's like, no, if you could have made it, then you would have made it. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And they launched him off the show. So, What was uh, Clay Guida's brother's name again? What's Jason his first name? Guida. Jason Guida. That's what like, it is. He's like 17 and 25. Yeah, I was just pulling it, it up right now. He's more known for slapping the shit out of Clay <laughs> yeah. before Clay gets in there than he was ever landing hands on guys, right? So 19 and 28 is his current record right now. The last time he he actually stepped inside of a cage though. Bellator 112. He lost a decision to a guy named Anthony Gomez back in 2014. So he is now leaving his punching to his brother when his brother walks out. That's right. You know, you know, the worst one I've ever seen. This really goes to show you that like being a sibling with someone means nothing. And I'm not gonna say Sergio Pettis to the Anthony Pettis because damn Anthony's bad. Uh the worst one I've ever seen is Matt Sarah. Matt Sarah had a brother named Nick the Monkey Sarah, right? And he actually fought for Elite XC. Like Matt Sarah is like blood, sweat, and tears. You know what I mean? His whole career was he's the underdog, knocked out George St. Pierre, won a welterweight world title. Like how cool. His brother got disqualified from an elite XC fight for refusing to get up. He was butt scooting. <laughs> he wouldn't get up. And the ref's like, dude, you can't <laughs> get up. And he's just like, no. And he shakes his head. He's like, no. Shakes his head. He's like, no. And then they was just he tired? He's gassed. Yeah. And he's just okay. not good. It's just not good, and he's quitting mentally, and he's just like, I'm out of it. You, uh, just like Matt, they're jiu-jitsu guys, right? So some jiu-jitsu guys, it's like, you need to get up and fight on. Some jiu-jitsu guys, it's like, well, you should come into my guard, man. It's like, no, nah, it's a fight. It's not a jiu-jitsu match. It's a fight. You need to get up and fight. And uh, yeah, he totally just quit, right? So uh, if you watch old the old tough seasons, Matt Sarah's like, his the best man at his wedding was on one of the seasons of The Ultimate Fighter and quit, and Matt Sarah disowned him, and they don't talk wow. anymore. Yeah. Right. So what do you think happened with his own brother? It's a complicated situation, but yeah, you grow up in the same household with the same genetics and the same training and the same this and that. It really, it doesn't mean anything, which is the reason why you don't see these, like both brothers were world champions at the highest level. Uh, Ken Shamrock's actually not good and he's actually not related to Frank Shamrock. So like that one's, they were both world champions, champions, but you know, not, you know what I'm saying? And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I did see, uh, I just pulled up Nick Sarah's topology and the last fight is the one that you talked about. And it says, loss wouldn't get up from butt scoot. <laughs> was, yeah, was butt scoot. That's what he was doing. He, was, he kept butt scooting. And the ref's like, no, you need to stand up. And he just like, shook his head like, no. Uh, this is hilarious. Matt Tara Sarah's yeah. old brother. Unreal. Uh, all right, let's get back on track here. Let's move on to the next fight that we got. Um, like we're saying, we both, we both like Albazi. Um, but let's move on to the next one. We're going to be going with uh, AJ Fletcher going up against Angel Lusa. In terms of odds, we got minus 155 for uh, Fletcher and plus 135 the return on Lusa. This is the fight that I don't really have the, the greatest read on. Like, this is probably the fight that I'm going to just be avoiding, honestly. Like, I like the AJ Fletcher side. I like the potential the kid has. The guy has good grappling. Uh, he's a gamer. He's very durable. As we saw, all the shots that he was able to eat from Math, uh, or Matthew Semmelsberger in his UFC debut but I think that this might be a more favorable matchup for him than the the uh, Matthew Semmelsberger fight. Close fight against Semmelsberger until his cardio failed him pretty much. But if it doesn't fail him here against Lusa, I think he could have similar grappling success and holding Lusa down. Uh, Lusa is, is starting to turn into the Mike Pyle of Killcliffe FC, right? Because you only ever hear uh, the Killcliffe FC guys saying, oh, this guy's great in the gym. This guy's amazing. This guy's amazing. But like when the lights are brightest, the guy doesn't really show up. 
but maybe this is his opportunity to finally do it, right? Like, I don't want to give him too much shit. He lost to Jack Della Maddalena, and then he lost to fucking, uh, uh, what's the other game? Munir Lezez, exactly. Like, those are legitimate matchups. So, like, I don't want to completely count this guy out. So this might be a, a more favorable matchup than those last three fights, or those last two fights, I should say. But uh, I still lean Fletcher ever so slightly. I'd assume maybe Fletcher by by grinding, right? Like it was tough for Jack to even get a loose out of there. Um, and Jack's known to be a finisher. Now, Fletcher, if he just takes that grapple-heavy approach, you know, his decision line is currently sitting at plus 150. That's probably where I'd lean. Maybe even the over is at over two and a half at minus 180, as I do believe that Fletcher is very durable. Lusa hits with, you know, some solid power, but I'm not completely sold on his knockout power at this level. Uh, I'll go Fletcher, Fletcher by decision, but I'm hoping that you can kind of reel me in with a, a better take on either side. What are you thinking here? Yeah, Lusa, I'm having trouble gauging. I like your example about Mike Pyle, though, because ain't nobody ever walked through the doors of Extreme Couture that didn't get their ass whooped by Mike Pyle. And then he fought at a mediocre level, I suppose, had no durability in the UFC. Yeah. Like, pretty crazy how it happens, right? But in this case, Andre Lusa, like, I know they're high up on him, but I, I haven't seen it. Even when he first came stateside, uh, his U.S. debut at LFA 56 against Jonathan Thompson, he loses a split decision. His very next fight, that Colin Lubbard's fight, he wins a split decision. They're they're close. He doesn't seem to have much power for a guy that's billed as a striker and seems to be, you know, most fluid and comfortable striking. He tends to try to offensively grapple a lot of the time against Jack Della. We got to give him a pass, of course, but he looked almost half disinterested. Now I understand the other opponent's just throwing so many strikes and he's crafty and he's whipping them at you, but uh, of course, Pace definitely got away from him that fight. Then XMMA books him against John Howard, you know, lowly fight. John Howard's 38 years old, UFC veteran on a bad swing. But at least you could stand up and have a fun little exciting striking battle with, with John Howard. But he didn't. He clung on to him with takedowns the entire time. Did not want to stand with John Howard and repeatedly just took him to the ground and tried to neutralize him. So now I'm kind of lost on if he's not a striker and now he's a grappler, he's not an elite level grappler, right? And it appears that he's not an elite level striker. So like, what is his bread and butter? What does he do well? And then the Munir Lazez fight, I thought maybe he'd be an underdog in that one, just because Lazez coming off a layoff, coming off a loss to Worley Alves, you know, for a guy that if you have such good striking, you know, you might be able to intercept him. And again, he lands by the numbers, like 88 significant strikes. Like uh, he, he had landed a fair bit, but you watch the fight. It almost seems like he's half disinterested again. He's going through the motions. He's not really going after it. None of his power, none of his strikes have any of that kind of, you know, fight changing zip on them. He's not getting his opponent's respect. And as a result, they just go out there and they outwork him. So, yeah, with A.J. Fletcher, the kid's strong. He's physical. He played football at uh, Louisiana. Um, he's coming out of, you know, the form Gladiator Academy, same place that Dustin Poirier got his roots from. No doubt this could this kid could be okay, but he's green still, man. He's green. And then the Semmelsberger fight, he starts off well, but tires out, gives up bad positions, and shows that his striking is extremely uh, limited at this time. Explosive, right? But he's not going to go out there and strike for 15 minutes. Hell, he's not even going to strike for five minutes of the round. He needs to engage and get that grappling going. And if his cardio hasn't improved in the three or four months since we've seen him last, I don't know. Is he going to go there and take Angelusa down? We've seen Angelusa lose to Jack Della because of output, right? We've seen we've seen Angelusa lose to Munir Laziz because of some great output. Ugh, AJ Fletcher don't have no output standing for the record, right? So he can't just replicate the same game plan as the other guys. And none of those guys took him down. So I haven't seen him lose strictly by getting taken down and now grappled. I don't know that that is the easiest thing for Fletcher to go out there and do. So 
Yesterday, I, I picked Fletcher. Today is still leaning towards Fletcher, but the good thing about this is you can just attack it from a prop standpoint. And I straight up think the fight's going the distance, minus 140. No disrespect to Angelusa, but it seems like he's majority of his fights are ending up being decisions. Even if he wins this fight, he's going to sprawl and brawl AJ Fletcher, but not put him away, perhaps. And AJ Fletcher, he took all of Semmelsberger's best punches. That loss would have been good for him. Good reflection. Go back to the drawing board. And Semmelsberger, for what he is, He's one of the, the only guys in the UFC that's got two sub-16 second KOs when he knocked out Martin Sano and Jason Witt, both of whom are bad, sure. But he knocked out two guys in like a combined 32 seconds. Like that That's pretty dope at the end of the day. So he took some big shots from Semmelsberger, lived to tell the tale. I think he'll take Luce's punches. I just don't know 100% if he's going to win, but I think he'll be in the fight the whole way. And Luce, meanwhile, has no durability issues, just doesn't really seem to be finishing opponents. Therefore, I got this thing earmarked. For a 15 minute decision at minus 140, not the worst price going. I like it. I like it. I like it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about uh, Miranda Maverick uh, coming in as heavy chalk. She's going up against Shanna Young uh, in terms of odds. Like I said, heavy chalk on the Miranda Maverick side. She's looking at minus 600 at this point in time, uh, plus 450 the return on Shanna Young. Now, this is actually a rematch of an exhibition matchup that took place in the Invicta FC series, uh, the Phoenix series, I believe it is. And that was, uh, you know, one of those spots where they did like a one-night tournament where there's three rounds, uh, or sorry, three rounds uh, uh, in the tournament itself. And the first two fights were only one round each. So she beat, uh, I believe it was... Uh, I can't recall the first lady's name off the top of my head, but she beat Shanna Young in the second round, uh, beating her via rear naked choke in that first round of their fight. And then in the final, she went on to fight Deanna Bennett and she beat her by decision that night. So five full rounds of, uh, or four and a half full rounds of uh, Miranda Maverick competing that night. And she looked great winning that tournament the way that she did. Uh, she is definitely improving, right? She's 25 now compared to being 22 when she competed back then. And she's also made some changes in terms of her training camp. We see her now there at the Eve uh, Elevation Fight Team in Denver, Colorado. And I think that was a great move for her because how much training and bodies is she actually getting trained down there with Mack and Semizer in, in Missouri, right? Like that's really not going to work out for her. It can only take her so far. But now she's surrounding herself with you know, coaches like Elliot Marshall, Cody Donovan, and those guys, but not to mention also the training partners that she has access to now. You know, the the veteran and the experienced Tisha Torres and Raquel Pennington and the J.J. Aldriches. I love to see that ability for her to just go out there and get solid work in with some good bodies like that. Uh, and she looks to be improving every single fight, right? She obviously lost the Aaron Blanchfield fight, but that just tells you what kind of beast Aaron Blanchfield is. But even the Macy Barber fight, we all know that's probably one of the worst decisions in UFC history. We believe that she deserved to win that fight. And she came back with the vengeance in her last fight against Sabina Mazzo. You know, she was riding a two-fight losing streak. She comes into that fight, just grounds Sabina over and over again, eventually finds that finish in the second round. That's exactly what I'm expecting to see here against Shanna Young. You know, I don't mind the chalk on her, but I think the way to attack it would be the props, right? That's why we love doing this prop in the up show because we try to make minus 600s into plus money if possible. Uh, Maverick inside the distance is currently sitting around plus 130. I like that. I think she'll have that grappling success, and I think she'll be able to get this to the ground. And, you know, she could find a submission or she can find a TKO. And the reason I bring up the TKO, it's because it's plus 700 on certain spots. And I said this on a couple of other streams that I did this week, but something that people always look over 
is when grapplers more often than not have that submission out. They also have the TKO out just as much because they have that dominating ability on the ground where they can get guys into bad position or get gals into bad positions, whether it's that full mount and just rain down elbows and big shots. And you can get a TKO that way just as easy as you can open up a submission opportunity and snatch up the sub. So if you're getting these crazy numbers like plus 700, I've seen plus 1200 on certain situations similar to this, why not take a little bit of a sprinkle? It's, it's worth it because we know they're going to have that grappling dominance. And that's absolutely live here for Miranda Maverick. Um, Shanna Young, you know, solid performance against Gina Mazzani last time around. Let's give it up to her. But she's not beating the better women in this division, right? She's going to fail against the Macy Kiasons. She's going to fail against the, um, was it? Uh, oh, yeah, Stephanie Egger that was able to submit her pretty easily in that fight. Or I think she TKO'd her there. And again, probably another spot where it was plus 1,000 for Stephanie Egger by TKO. And that's all she needed. She was able to get that top position and she was able to get it done. But Miranda Maverick, I think she's the truth. I think she has all the skills in the world and she's developing day by day. She's 25 years old. We're going to see a better version of her this time. And I don't know if she beats her as easily as she beat her last time. I think she'll face a little bit more resistance because I want to give Shanna Young some credit for making some own improvements of her own, right? She's 31 now. She's getting to the point where a lot of people expect that to be the prime years for fighters. Between like 34 to, or sorry, 30 to 34 is usually the like the ultimate prime of a lot of fighters. So Shanna Young could definitely be getting better as well. But I think she's going to struggle here against Miranda Maverick. So give me Maverick inside the distance to cover either outcome of the KO or submission. But even if you're getting plus 120 here, you're getting plus money on an outcome that I think is very live here. So give me Miranda Miranda inside the distance. I feel like you have a hot take on this matchup. I'll let you get into that right away. Yeah, not super hot take. Uh, I, I I see the angle with the TKO. You know, get on top of her, and instead of flattening her out, putting your hooks in and getting the choke, just keep punching. But Miranda Maverick has zero knockout wins. Zero. She has a cut stoppage over Lilia Jajua, and that's it. As an amateur, that's a lie. She has seven amateur wins, and the second one was a TKO ref stoppage, and that was seven years ago. So in seven years, she has not TKO'd anybody. She feels more comfortable, I think, trying to get the submission. And again, it's just a comfort thing. Like, I can punch this person 50 times in the head, and they might take it because I don't have huge ground and pound, or I can just grab the submission. It seems like that's where she's most comfortable. So... Uh, again, like you mentioned, this girl's tough. She's 22 years old. She fought in that Invicta tournament. Victoria Leonardo, her first round opponent, made it to the UFC, which is pretty, you know, good level of a competition. You know, your second round opponent, Shayna Young, made it to the UFC. That's pretty solid. She beats Deanna Bennett in the finals. Deanna Bennett's probably going to fight for a Bellator world title here pretty soon. You know, isn't looking too bad these days. So, yeah, it's like ever since she was a young age, she's been fighting top-notch competition, and she's continuously getting better, changing training camps, like you said, continuously getting better. I just think that she probably ends up grabbing a submission on this one. Shayna Young, the only hot take I would say is that she used to actually be at a Knoxville MMA um, over in Tennessee, and uh, the promoters that I went out there for, she actually used to be the ring card girl there. The cut man, the cut man Mark, is like, first girl that ever choked me out, baby. Apparently, she's super strong, dude. Like, this girl is physically very strong, but she's got a kid and she's like not really serious about training and her career just kind of middles away. And then she wakes up one day and it's like, you know what? I got to actually take a run at this. I'm 0-2 in the UFC. I need to take it seriously. Her manager is like, let me help you. I'm going to send you down to uh, syndicate MMA for like three weeks. So she goes down there for three weeks. She looked noticeably better against Gina Mazzandi. No doubt about it. She's strong. She's physical. She can grapple a little bit. She put some pressure. Her cardio checked out. And now she's been spending that entire time since then still at Syndicate. So 
you probably do see a better version of her from the last time, but you're going to see a much better version of Miranda Maverick from the last time as well, but she's been improving leaps and bounds. So the submission props plus 160, that does seem like the most likely outcome. But again, the fight doesn't go the distance is even money. So why not just attack it from that angle? Yeah, I think I think that's probably the best way to go about it as well. But uh, again, I, I am a big Miranda Maverick believer. I've heard nothing but slander on her this week, honestly, from a lot of people thinking that she's not worth uh, the minus six hundred. Um, people. Well, just the last fight with Lanzo, that's a layup. She didn't look good. Her striking looked super robotic. Hey, she wasn't able to find the this. Distance. I, I heard the same thing. I, I, I could dig that, but like if she didn't get those easy takedowns, she's in trouble, man. I heard the same thing in the lead up to the Sabina Mazzo fight, right? Like it's it seems to be a constant theme, but I think she goes out there and continues to prove these people wrong. Like I get it. I'm not trying to make a case of for somebody that's like minus six hundred to the extent of saying, you know, you're you're dumbass for taking plus four twenty five on Shannon Young. No, like I'll never try to talk anybody off of solid plus money, especially if you have a good enough conviction about it. But I think that Shannon Young will make you continuously rip up those tickets. Or not Shannon Young, Miranda Maverick is gonna make you continuously rip up those tickets because I think she is skilled and she's improving. Every single time. Unless she pulls a Lupita Godinez and you hey, know what they call that, my friend? They call that women MMA. Just don't like you, Big Brother, expect you unexpected. Oh, don't do that. Don't say that. Oh, God damn it, Cody. All right, let's 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 move on. Let's keep this train moving along here. Next up, we're going to be talking about Sean Woodson going up against uh, uh, Luis Saldana. Let me just pull up the graphic here real quick for you guys. Uh, yeah, so uh, Sean Woodson coming in as heavy chalk once again, minus 340 on his number, plus 280 the return on Luis Saldana. A striker's delight, if you want to call it that, right? Sean Woodson coming from a boxing background, had a solid career there. If I'm not mistaken, he had some sort of serious injury, which pushed him eventually to MMA, which is kind of hilarious, right, Cody? Like, we hear this a lot in MMA, where guys, like, are in other sports, and then they have this serious injury. They're like, ah, oh, fuck it. I guess I'll go to MMA. Like, <laughs> I mean, like they just have to reluctantly pick it up. We, how many guys have we heard used to be football players and now coming to the MMA world, right? Like you can use that size and physicality in MMA, but it doesn't always work out if you're not able to get that skill set up to, you know, up to par to be a, a legitimate combat uh, uh, competitor. Luckily for Sean Woodson, the other sport that he competed in was boxing, and it translates perfectly into MMA. And with his improving takedown defense and his improving cardio, I feel like we'll continue to see a better version of him every time he steps out there as well. I love this guy's boxing style. I love his ability to use his reach. You know, he has he's going to have a six-inch reach advantage here. He's going to also have about a two- to three-inch height advantage too. I love the way he utilizes it, though. Like, not a lot of guys usually have that reach that can utilize it the way that he does. And I think we see it on full display here against Luis Saldana. Saldana, definitely not the fighter I expected him to be after that win that he had on the Contender Series because I had a, you know, I had some high hopes for this guy. I thought he was going to be, you know, somebody to, to really worry about uh, once he came to the UFC. But, you know, very lackluster performances. You know, that loss to Austin Lingo, I was live for that one. And I was like literally ripping up my ticket that I had on him, that I bet on him before going to the Apex that night, uh, going into that third round because it looked like he was slowing down, right? His cardio seems to be his kryptonite, essentially, where he's not able to get much going after the maybe seven or eight minute mark. I think a lot of people are in agreement that he didn't deserve to win that Bruno Souza fight. So good on him for being able to get that decision. But I don't think that Sean Woodson will be able to keep or will allow this fight to be as close as that fight may have seemed to the judges. He's going to put that output on him. He's going to put that, you know, 
the the heat on him in terms of the pace and the output. And I think eventually he'll be able to get Saldana out of there probably later in this fight. I'm looking at that round three prop on Woodson. I believe it's about plus 1,000, plus 800 because people have been hitting it recently because they see the same things that I'm seeing in terms of Saldana's poor gas tank. And if Woodson, you know, if he comes out with that fire that he did against Colin Angler last time around, he can really touch up the body of Saldana and uh, eventually finish him later in this fight. So I'm going Woodson. Uh, Woodson inside the distance is where I'm leaning as well. Woodson by TKO is currently around plus 175, plus 190, which isn't a bad look in my eyes either. Uh, but if you guys are privy to those round props, like I said, Woodson round three, I'm seeing plus 1,000. I'm seeing plus 950. I think I see plus 575 on bet online, which is crazy. But if you can get access to one of those books that have it closer to plus 900, I would take a shot there. So give me Woodson. Woodson inside the distance. What are you feeling here? Yeah, no, I got I, Woodson and not necessarily uh, inside the distance. Woodson, again, you go back to his regional show career and he's got a whole lot of decisions. He has flying knee dead at Terrence McKinney once Terrence got tired and it was a flying knee. And then, of course, against Colin Anglin, he uh, he went beast mode and knocked him out. But outside of that, it seems like he doesn't load up on any one punch. It's a lot of touch and go. And I feel like Luis Saldana has a, a mobile game, he tends to kick a lot. So it's going to be kicking versus punching for the majority of the first two rounds. And then, yeah... I, I know some people are chasing that third round Woodson prop. Not a bad look because you know that he's going to fight right to the end. You know he's going to be throwing volume, heat combinations. And Luis Saldana's gassed out, tired down the stretch in pretty much all those fights. So uh, I know you said you had high expectations for Luis Saldana. I can't say I ever really did. He did come to the contender series with a fairly mediocre record and then uh, has overachieved since then, right? But yeah, he's gassing out in all these fights and all of them, okay? You look at the Bruno Suzo fight, you look at the Austin Lingo fight, the majority of his offense is coming from his kicks. He throws a lot of leg kicks, he throws a lot of body kicks. And then to be honest, 145 pounds, dude's 5'11". It's a nice frame for the division. Long, lanky, play the outside game. Unfortunately, he's run into six foot two Sean Woodson, who has a 78 inch reach, a five inch reach advantage. And to be honest, his arms are longer than your legs. So if you're trying to kick him, he's just going to counter over the top. He's going to rip to the body. He's going to put some pressure. He's going to break him down. Woodson's one of these guys on the card this week that I think uh, gets the win. But also, we've got a lot of big favorites. We've got a lot of chalky favorites. You know, we like an Amir Al-Bazi. Uh, we like... Yeah, well, I mean, there's just, again, we'll get through all the rest of the fights, but there's a number of big favorites on this card. So a guy like Sean Woodson still a big favorite, but a little bit lesser so than the others and looks like he's got just as good of a chance. You know, he's got the volume. I think James Krause will have him with a proper game plan. He's going to fight to the best of his abilities and should be able to put it on Luis Saldana uh, down the stretch. So sign me up for Woodson. I did take the Woodson by decision, but I wouldn't fault anybody for chasing one of those late round props. Uh, shout out to CloudBet. They do actually have a special prop for this matchup. Would love to get your thoughts on it. Sean Woodson's significant strikes over under 69 and a half. Yeah, over for sure. I would have said it personally, probably about like 77 and a half, maybe just below 80 to try to get some interest from people. But he's a volume puncher. He continuously punches. And again, if you're Sean Woodson, uh, the interesting stat there would be every single person he's fought from the contender series into the UFC has taken him down, right? Except for Colin Anglin. Colin Anglin didn't take him down. And the end result was he got punched 50 significant times. He got destroyed <laughs> in one single round, right? So it's like you got to probably mix in some takedowns to just neutralize this guy. Only Luis Saldana did take Bruno Souza down a pair of times. But like, I just don't think his grappling is good enough for that to be the game plan to take Woodson down. So if you don't take him down, you're going to be forced to exchange with him. And if you exchange with him, he's getting over 66 and a half all day long.
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And again, throw into the uh, the equation that the possible cardio issues of Luis Saldana at elevation, not a good look if he wants to go out there and try to grapple, which is going to be the most exhausting part of a mixed martial arts fight. I don't know if he'll put himself into that position. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about Jared Flash Gordon going up against Leonardo Santos. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 265 on Flash and plus 225 the return on the 42-year-old Leonardo Santos still doing the damn thing, trying to give Glove to share a, a rough run for his money, maybe making a title run at this point in time, but absolutely got halted last time around by Clay Guida, who was able to submit him in the second round of their fight. But, you know, I see a lot of people giving Leonardo Santos some flack because of his cardio issues, but he threw the kitchen sink at Clay Guida in that first round and couldn't get him out. If anything is going to gas you out, it's going to be trying to finish somebody that's not willing to go away. And that's exactly what happened that night, and which is why Leonardo Santos got choked down in that second round, similar to Anthony Fluffy Hernandez and Adolfo Vieira. Kind of similar situation there, although, you know, Vieira didn't really have Hernandez hurt. He was just chasing that sub a little bit too aggressively too early in that fight. Now, Santos, known as a BJJ guy, right? He came into the UFC as like, oh, watch out for this guy's BJJ. It's going to be very tough. But he's out here just dead in fools with this knockout power that not a lot of people expected him to have. One of my favorite knockouts of all time is him deading Stevie Ray. That was one of the funnest knockouts to ever watch. It looks like he just sniped him from distance and Stevie Ray just got hit with a bullet and collapsed. Beautiful, beautiful work there from Santos. He's been able to pull off a couple knockout victories, but I think it ends up stopping here against Jared Gordon. You know, I like Gordon. I like his style, but I more so prefer to back him as an underdog rather than a minus 265 favorite. His durability is a little bit questionable, so Santos could maybe catch the chin and maybe knock him out, and you'd be getting a juicy plus 900 for Santos to win by KO. But I think that we'll see Jared Gordon put that pressure, put that pace on Santos, and grind him out over 15 minutes. You know, you really using the full mixed martial arts game. Maybe the jiu-jitsu he uses a little bit later in this fight as Santos starts to slow down. But I think the boxing combinations, that pressure, the kicking game, all of what Jared Gordon does, I love what he does. Uh, again, I prefer backing him as an underdog like I did when he fought Danny Chavez, like I did when he fought Joe Selecki, but not so much as a minus 265 favorite. So let's try to take that minus 265 and make it a little bit nicer. And the way I look to do that, it would be Jared Gordon by decision plus 120, plus 125 is what I'm seeing. What are you thinking in this matchup between these two fighters? Yeah, so with Leo Santos, I do think he has cardio issues. It has nothing to do with him emptying the tank against Clay Guida. It has everything to do with every fight he has that goes beyond one round, he gasses out. So those fights include Grant Dawson, where he 100% gassed out. He actually got finished with like a second left in the third, dead dog tired lying on his back, right? So bad look. His fight with Robin Bogatov, if you remember that one, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't because it's awful. Oh, but he wins the first two rounds pretty clean. In the third round, he's dead dog tired, holding on. <laughs> and Bogatov loses two points for uh, kneeing a grounded opponent, okay. right? Uh, but he loses the third round in all three judges' scorecards. He landed two significant strikes. He flopped to his back and gassed out, right? Sure, he knocks out Stevie Ray in the first. Sure, he beats Kevin Lee in the first. The other fights, Adriel Martins, god-awful. Efren Escudero, god-awful. Norman Park, he's lucky Norman Park lost a point for grabbing the shorts because he would have lost that one too. His cardio is not good. He's 42 years old at this point. It's not going to get any better. So that would be the problem for me backing him is that he can definitely win, but he's got to go out there and get the victory uh, quick. 
I think he could catch Jared Gordon with something because, of course, he low-key has some decent power punching, right? And Jared Gordon low-key, not exactly the best chin. But, of course, he could rock him. He could rock him and maybe grab a submission in transition. He could do all that stuff. But if he doesn't, Gordon's going to start rolling him up piece by piece because, of course, he is a grinder. He's methodical and just slowly breaks away at guys. Even the Joe Selecki fight. Joe Selecki was on Jared Gordon's back for the entire first round. Fortunately, didn't choke him out in that first round. Second round, takedown's a little harder to get. Third round, can't get takedowns at all, right? So I feel like that would probably be the path for Jared Gordon. But the minus 275, I just, I really don't like it. So I was willing to pull the trigger on a Jared Gordon, potentially by decision. I flirted with the idea of maybe fight doesn't go the distance, you know, and either Jared Gordon just chips away at him and finishes him late, or uh, you have Leo Santos finishing it early. But it's that quote that's got me bugged out from Jared Gordon being like, MMA does nothing for me. I get no fulfillment yeah. from MMA. Like it, reading it was very much like, I don't like doing this, is what he's saying. I do this because people look up to me, and this is how I get my voice heard, and this is how I, you know, pay my bills but it was like i have no fulfillment from this you really have to have the mindset of like i'm gonna be the best i'm gonna beat guys i'm gonna take you out and i don't know that jared gordon actually wants it so uh reluctantly i am going to take the fight does not go the distance that's plus 105 i don't really want much exposure here but but the best way to attack this thing is the live bet bet this thing live because in theory you could take leo santos pre-flop right now at good plus money right and then if he wins in the first round, you're laughing and you're counting your dollars. If he does not win the first round and you can get plus money on Jared Gordon, I think it would start to trend towards him. But again, this is one of those fights that you can just, the price is wrong, but you could be high up on Jared Gordon and then look silly at the end of the night because he got knocked out in the first round. And like, of course, we've all been there. Uh, I think in terms of potential apple pie shaders, he's the guy. But uh, it's not like I'm high up on Leo Santos by the slightest sense of the imagination. So I'm not going to revert to the pick. I am going to take Jared Gordon. I just I want it low down on my list of priorities this weekend. And for the terms of the show, the best prop I like, I think I'm going to take the fight doesn't go the distance plus 105. Yeah, there, there, there's a couple landmines on this card, and I would agree that Jared Gordon could potentially be one of those landmines. So you don't want to be overly exposed to him. And I absolutely see this, the this the the frame of mind that you're in in terms of attacking this fight from the violent spot. Uh, also, Gordon by round three plus 1,100. Not too bad in case anybody wants to take a shot on that. In the Leo Santos thing, the worst takeaway from his Clay Guida fight is he hurts him to the body. Clay hits the deck. Clay's on all fours holding his gut. And Leo Santos, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, had any he could have snatched his neck at any point. He could have transitioned and taken them back at any point. And he did it. He kept punching. He kept punching. He kept punching. And he gassed himself out. He's 42 years old and he's making bad decisions in there that are affecting his gas tank. Like, I don't know. I would normally say Clay Guidis chokes you out. Yeah, you got to give your black belt back. But Clay has been working on his ground game. He's actually not as bad as he used to be. I, I think we need to take Santos to the Gerald Mearshart school of club and subbing. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, especially with the way that Mearshart was able to dispatch Bruno Silva this past week. Why we, not? Uh, you have yeah, the guy I, at the most vulnerable state. Snatch up that neck. Yeah, so he's actually a Nova Yunyao guy, and he come to uh, open up a gym in Toronto. Um, well, he was at the grand opening because it was a Nova Yunyao affiliated BJJ Academy, right? So I don't know. I got talking to him and whatnot. And so he beat Kevin Lee, right, by first round knockout. Kevin Lee ended up being a hot contender within the division who got a ton of big money fights. And then one year later, he beats Adriano Martins, who people don't remember him, BJJ Black Belt, Pride veteran, you know, pretty stiff, sturdy guy. Only got to beat Islam Makachev, yes. right? Yes. Gangster. Guy's a total gangster, right? Beats him on a shit fight. 
all the same pizza. And he sat for three years. Yeah. For three years, he sat. By the way, he had choked out Anthony Rocco Martin, who was, you know, picking up some momentum in the division. He was on a solid run. And yet, for three years, he sat on the sidelines. So I talked to him, and I was like, oh, injuries and whatever. And he's like, no, UFC won't give me a fight. He's like, I ask for fights all the time. He's like, they they quite literally don't call. They don't offer nothing. I'm ready to fight whenever. Just, I, I never understood that, because I can't imagine it's true. You have a contract, right? Like, this contractual obligations. Plus, you know, your boys with Jose Aldo, your boys with... At the time, you know, they had a little more name cachet, Claudia Gadelia, Henan Barrow, like there's at least people representing the gym. I don't know. By his own account, he's just, yeah, no, just sat on the sideline. And when he came back, he beat Stevie Ray, that quick knockout. But for me personally, I see the regression in his skill set for sure. Cardio is worse than it used to be. His timing's a little bit slower than it used to be. And his BJJ is not as, as clean or tight as it used to be. So, you know, he, he is the guy that's headed backwards. Unfortunately, Jared Gordon's 34 died of a heroin overdose so it's not like his body's exactly in peak physical condition itself right yeah this one this one is a, a weird one to cap but again be be careful on the chalk on gordon try to approach this from a profiting standpoint and you'll probably be better off in that aspect all right let's move on to the prelim headliner we're going to be talking about heavyweights here between uh marcin tybura and alexander romanov in terms of odds, chalk, as you'd expect, on King Kong. He's coming in at minus 345, plus 285, the return from Marcin Tybura. Now, this is the matchup that I've been waiting for Romanov for, right? Like, this is the, the legitimate test. Like, the Juan Espino fight, that was a test, right? And we saw some chinks in his armor. We saw his cardio not looking the greatest. We saw him willing to take the easy way out should it have been presented to him. And I believe that's what was that night because he knew that he was not going to win that third round. Happy for me, though, because I had him a part of a parlay that ended up winning me $18,000 that night. So I was happy with that. But in regards to this match with Marcin Tybura, Tybura will be his toughest test to date outside of the Wagner Espino fight, like I said, right? It's one thing to go out there and beat up on guys like Chase Sherman and Jared Vandera. But it's another thing to deal with a guy in Marcin Tybura who has faced legitimate competition throughout his UFC career. The guy has a plethora of experience on his side. He will likely be the better striker here. And I think he has uh, solid enough jujitsu to kind of make it kind of close, uh, you know, when this fight inevitably hits the ground. But I, I I see everything that Romanov is doing, right? Like, everybody's talking about the, the peak phys physical condition that he is in now, right? Like, the guy looks in phenomenal shape compared to what he was. Even in this uh, this image that we have, uh, where is it here? Oh, there we go. Even in this image that we have on the All-Stars tail of the tape, look at him. That's, that's Romanov, like, fresh in the UFC, pretty much. Like, he has a spare tire. He has all that stuff now. But now if you're looking at him, you see him actually losing the weight. Even in his last fight against Jared Vandera, you see him in look, looking in much better condition. And I think he took that Juan Espino fight as a big red flag for himself, saying that, man, I never want to feel that again. I never want to have to feel like I'm gassed. I'm gonna, looking for a way out. You can get to the UFC level as a heavyweight by relying on your size and your athleticism alone. And that's what he was doing by just beating up on these tomato cans on the regional scene. But now he's taking like legit steps up in competition. So he, ha he has to put everything else into play, right? The physical side of things, the conditioning, all that. That needs to match up with all of his other, you know, traits that have made him successful to this point in his MMA career. He has a, you know, shiny 16-0 record. But he can get that O taken away from him from any of these top five to top 10 uh, heavyweights. 
But I think that this is ultimately going to come down to Tybura unable to stop the takedowns of Romanov, unable to deal with the ground and pound that's going to be coming his way from on top. But if if Tybura can survive that early onslaught, he will definitely make this fight closer than it seems, right? I definitely think he's a, a live underdog in the spot, especially at that plus 285 line. But I find it hard to believe that he's going to be able to deal with the top pressure that Romanov usually presents in a lot of his fights. Um, I don't hate anybody for taking the shot on Tybura. I completely understand. But I think that this might look like a classic Romanov fight. King Kong, Donkey Kong punches early in this fight. When he gets that top position, Romanov inside the distance, plus 100. I don't mind that. But the, for me, this is more so of a sit-back-and-watch situation. See how he does against a legitimate heavyweight contender or at least legit guy in that top 15 ranking, which is Marcin Tybura. So um, Tybura, uh, his win condition, maybe a late finish if Romanov really hasn't been able to shore up his uh, his his um, conditioning or his cardio. Uh, Tybura round three is plus 2,500. That is insane to me Tybura not much of a finisher though right so we got to keep that in mind but even Tybura by decision at plus 550 to go out there and outstrike and outwork Romanov is absolutely in play but I still end up on the same side here I end up on Romanov Romanov inside the distance plus 100 am I am I giving Tybura too much credit or are you seeing what I'm seeing as well yeah, well, I think the main question for Romanov is, yeah, 16-0 and 0 looks good, and you go back to the Juan Espino fight. Cardio doesn't look that good. He struggled when, he, when he's got to work for the takedowns. When he does get the fight to the ground, like, you can't just forearm choke guys when they know what they're doing. And, yeah, maybe he's just, you know, not exactly the most refined quite yet. So I, uh, I, I understand the concerns. You also look at the level of competition. He's been fighting the Jared Vanders of the world, the Chase Shermans of the world. So how much has he improved since the Juan Espino fight? It's anybody's guess. It's anybody's guess. This fight's dangerous because it's a heavyweight fight, uh, which, of course, we know. I got burned a couple weeks ago, Hamdi versus Dante Mays. Oh. But then even last week, like, I was pretty certain that Budai would win. He did. I don't know how. But he fought a terrible-ass game plan. Like, it all, he always fights in the clinch. 30 pounds heavier than his opponent. Loves to fight in the clinch. No, no. I'm just going to hang in that range and get beat up from the outside. Like, why, why, why do they do that stuff? I don't know. But it's heavyweights, right? So there's a lot of action both ways and then Tybor is putting weight on and it looks like Romanov's losing weight so you know again you know his size is going to eventually be a factor is he going to tire himself out trying to move around the bigger guy I don't know but for me it's with Romanov when he first started to gain a little bit of notoriety on the Russian regional scene I looked into him it was like who is this guy and he had a weird ass backstory because it was like he was a, a sumo champion he was an amateur Moldovan or a, yeah it was a Moldovan amateur wrestling champion and a sumo wrestler so, I don't know, weird base for MMA, I suppose. But he comes over, and he was training out of Moldova. Then when he came to the UFC, he was training out of Maryland. Dude just showed up in yeah. Maryland at a small-ass oh, little camp. It made no sense. Like, man, this guy's undefeated, a heavyweight prospect, moves well, has got some wrestling. Who could he possibly be training with out there? It didn't make no sense. But now, he's, uh, he's at Tiger Muay Thai. And, in fact, his top training partner is Sergey Pavlovich, who, as people remember from the recent Derek Lewis fight, Guy's a beast, physical animal, great striking, long reach on him, freakishly long reach on him, and actually does come from a wrestling base. Seems to me like Romanov's in excellent shape. It's part of the reason why he's losing so much weight is he's probably training at a high level at a, in a hot climate like Thailand, and uh, the weight's just starting to melt off him. So is that going to affect him? Well, on one hand, yeah, maybe he's not as big as he used to be. On the other hand, this would be healthier for him, and that should result in him be having the better cardio on the other hand i look at marcin tybora and there's a lot going for him he's got the experience he's got the striking edge he's got the experience edge he does have a bjj black belt i suppose he's got a lot of things that he could apply and put to good use 
But there's no denying this, okay? These are his last number of fights. Alexander Volkov shot zero takedowns on him. Tybura went 0 for 16, but, but Volkov shot zero. Walt Harris shot zero. Greg Hardy shot zero. Ben Rothwell shot zero. Maxim Grishin shot zero. Sergey Spivak shot one. So that's one takedown attempt in two years, two and a half years. Gusto Sakai, none. And then, and then it's like, holy crap, Stefan Struve, Derek Lewis, Andre Arlovsky, Luis Henry, Victor Pesta. He hasn't really fought a whole lot of wrestlers now, has he? So he shows like an 86% takedown defense, but yeah. yeah, I don't know about that. And when you look back at the Derek Lewis fight, because Lewis actually did take him down, once he got Lewis on top of him, he don't go nowhere, man. He spends two minutes on his back. He spends seven minutes controlling Lewis, can't do nothing. Two minutes with Lewis on top, that's enough for him, right? So I low-key wonder, like he's had so many striker matchups that a guy like Romanov might just plow him right to the ground. And he might just lie there and accept it. And if that's the case, it's going to be a problem. It's hard to scramble when you're a big guy. That's why guys like Frank Mir, who are really not all that talented, got to high levels because nobody was a good grappler, right? It was that little cheat code that you could use. Nowadays, it's the same thing. How many guys in the heavyweight division are bona fide wrestlers, right? How many guys can... Even Francis Ngannou is trying to use his wrestling now because it's like, oh shit, nobody does this at, as a heavyweight. It's hard. It's hard to lumber around. I think Romanov can get him down, plant him down, keep him there, and just put the punishment on him. So, a minus four hundred for a heavyweight fight. I'm going to agree. I think it's off. I think it's off for sure. But uh, I'm going to attack this one on the Romanov by TKO at plus one fifty. I like it. And luckily, once again, Cloudbet has some special props for this one. They actually have two. One of them I don't really understand. So I'll ask this one to you, like. I don't know why they even bothered, but uh, first successful takedown, either it comes from Romanov at minus 210 or it comes from Marcin Tabura plus 175. I think that one's pretty pretty straightforward, no? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would take Romanov. The prop that I liked if your book had it was like they were setting a Romanov total at two and a half, right? And um, he, I mean, he just took Chase Sherman down three times in like three yeah. minutes. So his game's not super... He doesn't take guys down and hold them down, and that's what cost him against Juan Espino. But guys got to keep in mind that Juan Espino is a large man. He's a Senegalese wrestling champion, and he's a BJJ black belt. He's out of American top team. The guy is quite simply good. Yeah. Now, it's not to knock anything from Tybor. I think he's serviceable, but um, I don't think he's particularly good off his back, and I think he's largely taken on a bunch of strikers. Romanov may try to strike with him in pockets. I can see him trying to come out, southpaw stance, you know, wind up on that big punch. But essentially what he's going to do is throw a combination causing Tybor to lift his his guard and then he's going to shoot right underneath and try to get him up as the cage, push and pull, ground him, get some of that Donkey Kong ground and pound off. So unfortunately I can't top ticket a guy like Romanov because again, way too many variables in a spot like this and the price is just quite not, it's just not right. Um, I think that this was a good move by the UFC to give him a logical step up, but still a winnable matchup stylistically. Yeah, and then you pretty much just answer my question for the other prop that CloudBet has here was the over under two and a half takedowns for Romanov. I'd probably go with the over at minus one twenty nine as well. Yeah, I would think I would think the over. I think he's going to take Tybora down, and Tybora is going to be fresh. And it's all about don't accept position. So it's going to be like move. You got to move. You got to move. And he's going to get back up again. And that's going to be part of the game plan. It's like let's tire this guy out. He takes you down. Get back up. Make him do it again. Make him do it again. Then when he's tired. Y'all remember that Marcin Tybor Victor Pesta head kick KO? Like, dude can throw up his legs pretty fast. Dude's got some power. Dude took a beating against Greg Hardy, waited for his opportunity, and then came back. But, you know, Greg Hardy had to gas out and look for his inhaler cage side. If Romanov don't got asthma, you might be in trouble if he's kind of landing those shots on you and pushing a pace. So I do have to go with Romanov, but fully going to... 
don't fault anybody that's looking to take a greasy heavyweight shot on the dog. There we go. Speaking of heavyweights, we got a former heavyweight kicking off the main card here. Harry Hunsucker making his 205-pound debut, trying to put that 100% finish rate to the test against another guy who has 100% finish rate in Tyson Pedro. In terms of odds, biggest favorite on the card. Tyson Pedro comes in at minus 730. I'm even seeing up to minus 800, minus 900 on certain spots. Plus 530-ish is the return that you're going to be looking at for Harry Hunsucker. Now, Harry Hunsucker, never seen the second round in professional MMA, right? The guy usually goes out there, gets the kill, or goes out on his shield. Similar to the Daniel De Silva fight that we were talking about earlier in this fight, or earlier in this podcast. But he doesn't make it, he doesn't hide it. He wants to get your head off there early or maybe look for a Kimura, which he's been able to get a couple of those on the regional scene. But you got to believe that Tyson Pedro is the better specialist once this fight hits the ground. I don't know if it's actually even going to hit the ground. I think we're going to see these guys just throw until somebody eventually falls over. Or if Tyson Pedro clubs and subs him, that's absolutely possible as well. I don't understand, you know, having the balls to back Tyson Pedro at minus 800 because he could absolutely, excuse me, fumble the bag in this spot. You know, I could absolutely see Harry Unsucker landing a big punch to put Tyson Pedro down and take advantage of that. That's why the, the prop that looks juiciest to me, just from like a tinfoil hat side of things, uh, Hunsucker round one plus 1,200, plus 1,500 I'm seeing. Hunsucker round one KO plus 2,000. Again, it's kind of along the lines of Charlie Ontiveros last week where I thought the diminishing durability of Gabriel Benitez will eventually bite him in the ass here against a big puncher like Charlie Ontiveros. That one didn't come to fruition, but I think at a certain point, if you're just taking these small stabs on these big underdogs that are reliant on early finishes, it's eventually going to hit. It could hit here with Harry Hunsucker, but taking the safer approach, I actually ended up just taking the under one and a half, which is juice to hell. Minus, I'm seeing up to minus 400 now on the under one and a half. We don't usually see that, right? Those are reserved even for like uh, Terrence McKinney fights. Terrence McKinney fights, you get like minus 200 on the under one and a half, but not Harry Hunsucker fights. Harry Hunsucker fights, you got to pay that minus 400 because you know this guy will likely never make it to that second round. I'm interested to see how he looks on the scale tomorrow. Like he's not the biggest light heavyweight out there. He was just like a a small heavyweight that didn't want to cut weight. But now considering that he likely has his job on the line, he wants to take a little bit more seriously, go down to 205 and try to make magic happen. But I just, just don't think it's going to happen, nor am I trusting Tyson Pedro enough. So the best way to go about it, violence. Just take violence, guys. I think that would be much better than taking the minus 800 on Tyson Pedro here. What are your thoughts? Are you Am I too high on Harry Hunsucker, or do you think that Tyson Pedro just rolls through him as well? Yeah, I mean it's a tough go for Harry Hunsucker. If you if you count up his the record of the guys he fought on the regional scene before he makes the UFC, it's uh it's pretty bad, man. It's like very very bad. And I'm talking to the tune of Kevin Powers one and nine. This Rally Abbott is zero and zero. Nah, they went zero and three. Tim Dunn two and five. Big sexy Billy Swanson only notable fight on his record. Big sexy Billy Swanson only notable fucking guy in his record. Think about that for a second. Tony Parker, 15 and 17. J Jordan Mitchell, 9 and 14. Like, he wasn't ready to jump into the UFC, but I will give him something against Jared Vandera. He goes after him, clocks him with a big old right hand, and then gets taken down subsequently destroyed in the first round, which is uh, not something we're used to seeing from Jared Vandera, certainly. And then he comes back to the UFC, and it's like, you know what? Let's give him a big old Samoan guy. It's like, oh, yeah, you know what? I got one. Tai Tuivasa. Sweet. Ran Tai. Destroys him in 48 seconds. And it's like, you know what? Let's bring him back. Let's give him a big uh, fucking Samoan guy or something, right? And it's like, okay, Justin Taffa. 
It's like, okay, cool, cool. Now they're bringing him for one last kick at the can. It's like, who could we possibly give this guy? You know what? He's dropping down to 205. I got this Samoan guy, man. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably going to go down the same way. He don't like these Maori warrior types. Yeah. Things ain't going for him. But but I will give him one thing is that in all of his fights, he comes for it comes for it hard. He comes fast. Even the Justin Toffa fight, he nails Toffa with a big old clunky overhand right. Just Toffa ends up eating it like a sandwich and walking through him. But he is going to fight for your dollar. Just normally when we say that, it's like, the guy's a junkyard dog and he's going to fight to the death for your dollar. Like Harry will do whatever he's capable of. I just don't know that his capabilities are all that good. He will fight for it, sure. But uh, Tyson Pedro just got to watch out that first round. Here's the one thing that's got me a little bit nervous. Is Tyson Pedro not a striker? He's a grappler. Like He does his best work when he's on the ground. He's got some nasty submission wins in the UFC. He's seemingly falling more into that striker role because again, guys like Justin Toffa and Tai Tuivasa, Mark Hunt, all your training partners are strikers. You're probably going to start to go down that path itself. But he was coming off like a four year long layoff, three year long layoff going into the Ike Villanueva fight. He was on record saying his body was not holding up. He was broken down a bits. The Ike fight, he never tried to take Ike down. He just kicked his leg the whole time, but he stood in front of him. If Harry Hunsucker comes at him and gets chucking bombs early, could be a problem because again you've not seen tyson pedro win very many fights with his hands right he wins it with his kicks or his ground game so i don't know at 850 all my brain is trying to process is like what's my worst case scenario what could possibly go wrong but at the end of the day skill does outright win fights the majority of the time and when you look at harry hunsucker he's lacking i mean his wrestling in that justin toffa fight his single leg takedown he bends over at the hip and just tries to scoop the leg. It's like, oh man, like he's maybe never wrestled a day in his life. His striking, I'll tell you what, I'd like to have this guy behind me if I was getting into a bar fight because if the fight's only like a minute long, my boy Harry gonna be chucking caution to the wind. But like beyond that, it's like uh, he starts to become uh, hittable. His chin's not all that good. It's a little bit plodding. It's a little bit uh, chins up in the air when he does throw the overhand right. It, like it, it does become a problem the longer the fight goes. I always said, like, get away with weight classes, just make interesting fights. And, like, if Harry Hunsucker was a, a still a heavyweight and he was fighting Paulo Costa, who's a middleweight, Paulo Costa would not come out in the first round. Those are the facts, right? It doesn't matter that this man is that much larger. He's just not good, right? So this fight with Tyson Pedro, Pedro's going to go the same thing he did against Ike Villanueva. Uh, Harry tends to be a little bit lumbering and front heavy on the lead leg, so the leg kick will be there. Harry will try to counter him, but he's not a counterpuncher. He's a forward aggressive guy. So unless he intercepts him while he's throwing a naked leg kick and just clips him right on the chin, more often than not, I think Tyson Pedro will just land the leg kick, get out of dodge. And yeah, he did tire against Shogun and got TKO'd in third there. I don't think Harry's dragging him into some deep waters. So Harry's a dangerous man because he's desperate. Uh, he's about to lose his UFC job, and he's very well aware of all these things. Right? So he's going to go out there and fight like it's the most important thing in the world to him. And I don't know that Tyson Pedro cares all that much. You know, he had a long layoff. He looked a little bit disinterested against Ike Villanueva. Mm, at minus 850, things could go wrong for him. It's called banana peel pricing. It could definitely happen. Not enough for me to switch the pick. But my boy Paul Shaughnessy mentioned throwing a little uh, Swiss Chalet family meal Skrilla on this first-round knockout. I know you mentioned the same thing, right? So if Harry's going to win, that's how he's going to get it done, very likely. But I got Tyson Pedro inside the distance and the under one and a half. Yeah, he can get himself a solid 22 Swiss Ali family deals if uh, Hunsucker goes up there and gets this knockout. But Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd be paying uh, your food for the month, courtesy of a Swiss Chalet. <laughs> so certainly... I see you guys trying to lock down that sponsorship. I see you. I yes, see you. hell yeah. Uh, the only other thing I would suggest is when you look at Tyson Pedro by TKO, it's minus 200. 
not a good price, right? Not a good price. When you look at Tyson Pedro by submission, it's plus 300, which I think is a little bit interesting because against Tyson, mm. Pedro is a grappler. His best yeah. wins have come when he's got his grappling going. He choked out Khalil Roundtree, took him down, took his back. The Paul Craig fight, grounded him, smashed him up with elbows. The Saperbeck Safarov fight, Saperbeck shot a takedown on him. He immediately reversed it into a, a Kimura. And then Ovin submits him. Shogun, it's a legends battle, and he faltered. And then Ike's just a straight up boxer. So you haven't seen his grappling in four years, right? Yeah, so I, I, on paper, it looks like, oh, yeah, well, he doesn't grapple. It's like, no, 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 no. He, he is, in fact, a grappler. And against Harry Hunsucker, who shows knockout losses as a pro, but I think all of his amateur losses are all by rear naked choke. So how do you think this one's going to go down? I, I, I think there's a good chance he takes him down and he takes his back. And like you were mentioning earlier with Miranda Maverick, yeah, maybe he'll take him down and pound him out with uh, some ground and pound from Mount. Or maybe Harry Hunsucker will belly down and give up his back and he'll just take the neck. You don't know how it's going to go. But one of them's minus 200. One of them's plus 300. Trust me, his, gra his grappling is an element to his game. And I think he could use it very effectively here if he chose to. And last but not least, if you're coaching this guy and it's like, what do you think he's going to do? It's like, he's going to bum rush you. He's going to come at you and swing hard. So what's the game plan? Not but swing back. It's like, take him down, take him down, neutralize him for two, three minutes, tire him out, choke him out. That would be the way to approach this, right? But did I mention he's a Maori warrior? I don't know <laughs> if he's going to try to defend his people's honor or not. So I guess we'll have to see him Saturday. Uh, great look on that submission prop, though. I think that's a damn good spot, especially if you're getting plus 300 on it and we know what his skill set is like on the ground. I, I haven't really heard many people actually mention that prop, but that is a damn good prop to keep your eye on. So, Good look from my guy Cody on this light heavyweight slugfest that we got, which will possibly turn into a Tyson Pedro submission. All right. Uh, I didn't even get to shout out the 150 live viewers that we currently had before we got onto this main card. Appreciate every single one of you guys. Make sure you guys smash that like and subscribe here on the All-Star. Let them know that you guys appreciate us on their channel. Uh, and also let us know what your favorite props are in the comment section below if you guys are not watching this live. We appreciate every single one of you also shout out to betonline.ag make sure you guys check them out if you love betting on mma that is no other reason why you'd be in this live stream right now so check out bet online if you haven't already signed up over there but make sure you guys use the link below because they would match your initial deposit up to a thousand bucks you want to bet on ksw you want to bet on uh battlefield mma in vancouver you want to bet on lfa bet online has you guys covered so make sure you guys go check that out all right let's move along to the next fight and we can quickly gloss over this one right i don't think anybody's really looking forward to this one right cody we got lucy pudilova making her ufc return against yanan Wu. for some reason they're placing them as the second fight on the main card i'll never understand it but here we are now lucy pudilova put together a five and one record after she initially got cut from the ufc after losing to justine kish but she did manage to have that one loss, and that was to former UFC fighter Talita Bernardo. And uh, that was a fight where Bernardo used pretty much the, the main chink in the armor of Lucy Pudilova, which seems to be that takedown defense, right? Like, it's very difficult for her to keep fights upright, especially if fighters go in there with the grapple-heavy advantage. That's what Talita had that night. Yinan Wu likely won't have that, right? I know she likes to work on her jiu-jitsu. She's one of those, like, she has that weird partnership with Marlon Sandro, 
if you guys remember Marlon Sandro from back in the yeah, day. Yeah, like, Goku believe, champ. Yeah, he gave her like a blue belt, maybe even a purple belt by this time. But it's always weird to see him in her corner. So you know she's definitely been working on her ground game. But uh, I think that we're going to see this play out mainly as a striking battle. I think Pudilova is the one that hits with a little bit more emphasis, a little bit more uh, power. And that might ultimately be what gets her this decision, especially if it plays out to be a 15-minute fight. Uh, of, of them just kick, kickboxing. Um, I am not counting out the possibility of Pudilova implementing her own grappling, uh, just as she did in the fight after she lost to Talita Bernardo. We saw her take the fight to the ground over and over again, and that, you know, goes to show to her at least that takedowns can win fights. You know, that's how she always ends up losing this guy uh, is by women just grinding her out and just keeping her on the mat. But if she tries to add that to her own arsenal, she could come out on the winning end more often than not. Uh, you know, package that in with her striking advantage that I believe she has here. I do like her to win this fight. I'm just not so happy to to go out there and just pay that minus 120, minus 130 that she's currently at. Her decision is around plus 110, which is indicative of this fight more than likely going to decision. If it wasn't that that tells you that this fight's going to go to decision, maybe the minus 330 on the fight goes to decision. We'll let you know that as well. That's probably the best way to play this fight. I'd be surprised if we see a finish from either side. If there is a finish, I think the only way we really see it is maybe a Yinan Wu submission, but that's all the way up at plus 1200. Other than that, I think this fight just goes to full 15. Volume of Wu against power and damage of Lucy. Give me power and damage of Lucy, but I have no real emphasis in terms of actually betting this fight. What are your thoughts here? Do you see another spot that I'm not really highlighting here that people should take advantage of? No, no, I, I no. The only reason I think it's on the main card is uh, if you're the UFC and it's like, hey, people, we got to get people to buy this card. It's like, well, what's the main event? It's like, well, Usman Edwards. It's like f- fans like that fight, but it needs some support. We got Paulo Costa, Luke Rockhold. It's like, Dece, all right, Dece. Like, you know, anything else on there? It's like, yeah, we got Jose Aldo and Rob Devashvili. It's like, okay, so they're buying this card. It's like, yeah, yeah, they, you're right. Why would I put on another banger? Meanwhile, you got ESPN Plus. You got those other networks that are like, yo, we need a fight. They don't want, right, they don't want Jared Gordon, Leo Sanchez. They don't want Sean Woods and Luis Haldon. They need a little sum sum. So they move Tybora Romanov to the ESPN Plus fight. Those guys are happy. They get a heavyweight banger. Sweet fight. And the pay-per-view is still just as good, right? I wouldn't say just as good. It's got Wu Yunnan, Lucy Pudilova on it now. But it was all about, let's put the worst fight on the card, on the main card, because they're buying the main card anyways. And it'll stack up the prelims to keep our business partners happy. So I get it. I get it. I'm just taking a random dog shot in Yunnan Wu. I don't got much here. Lucy Pudilova, we've seen her in the UFC before. And yeah, I mean, Manpreet mentioned everything. She's got lackluster takedown defense. Important to note, since she's been released, she beat uh, Marta Wallacek four and two by split decision. Right. She beat both times by split decision, and she lost to Toledo Bernardo. Toledo Bernardo's like late thirties, one-dimensional grappler. She has not improved her ability to stuff a takedown at all, seemingly. So I think that's going to be a little problematic. Yeah, she's got volume. This is a girl that can throw some damage. She throws caution in the wind. She's actually very entertaining for sure, and I'm happy to see her back on the roster. It's just that takedown defense is still going to be an issue. When I look at Wu Yanan, she's not good at all. However, however, let's give her a couple passes here, right? So like the last couple fights, Maria Buena Silva is actually not that bad. And she did manage to take her down one. So taking down a big, strong, physical girl like that is in some ways, you know, still impressive enough. And then Jocelyn Edwards. Jocelyn Edwards is A, on a pretty decent streak right now. B, fought at 145, like two fights back. And Wu Yanan, again, did take down Jocelyn Edwards and has some success grinding her up against the cage. 
Girl's just too big, too strong. So you can see what she's trying to do. You can see where her skill set is headed. It's just she's not able to, you know, implore that tactic against these kind of uh, uh, this level of competition. But against Lucy, you're probably going to have lots of success in the clinch. You're going to be able to take this girl down. You're going to be able to have some top control. This is a much easier opponent than Jocelyn Edwards and Mara Bueno Silva. Are you kidding? No doubt about it. And then that uh, Mizuki Inoue fight, I mean, I thought she may have won it, to be honest with you. But all the same, she lands 123 significant strikes in that fight. So you see her cardio is not bad. Her volume's not bad. And that's basically the only thing Lucy has. The difference is, is that one of them's got the ability to mix in a couple takedowns. And that somebody is Wu Yanan. So yeah, it's because it's a it's a 50-50 fight, it's a dog or a pass. I will be leaning with the dog. And then in terms of props on this one, I don't think she's gonna submit Lucy Pudilova. It's pretty damn durable. So yeah, I would say she wins a decision, which is like plus 175. So if I was gonna bet it at all, and I do not recommend it, but that's the way I would go, is that decision plus 175. Yeah, I, I don't know about your... Uh, actually, you know what? I do understand the the mindset that you had in regards to why they put this fight on the pay-per-view card. But maybe it's just a piss break, right? Let's let's be honest. Like, nobody really... This that's is what, a solid that's 15 what Paul suggested. Bogey, that's true, here. that's true. But there's five fights on the main card, right? And the main card starts at 10. And the main event will conclude somewhere around 1 o'clock in the morning, right? Yep. So the pacing's awful. You have more than enough time to go out and, and have a piss and have a beer and have a bogey. But uh, I don't know. All the same. I, I think if anything, when I'm watching fights, the later the night goes, the older you get too, you're just like, come on. Now imagine being like, yeah, I'm pumped <laughs> up. It's a good time. And then they put Pudilova Woo on you. are like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Why? People are peeking on their buzz Why? at that time too. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I don't know. In that regard. Who knows what the reasoning is, um, but the UFC don't care, right? The only person willing to talk up for us is Luke Rockhold, who will probably be out of a job very soon. (laughs) I I hope somebody actually asked them at the press conference why the fuck they put that fight on the main card, but it is what it is. All right, let's let's go on to the next fight because this is where business really starts to pick up, right? We're going to be talking about a bantamweight fight here between Jose Aldo and Marab Devalishvili. In terms of odds, we're getting Marab as a slight favorite here at minus 130, plus 110, the return on the legend Jose Aldo. Very interesting past two weeks we've had where we've had like a, almost a passing of the torch type fights in this bantamweight division, right? You had Vera snatch that uh, torch from Dominic Cruz last week, and it's possible that Marab could go out there and do the same thing here to Jose Aldo. It's also weird to me that Marab Devalashvili is 31 years old. I don't know why I thought he was younger, but he is 31 years old. He's, you know, in his prime. This is, if there was any moment for him to fight Jose Aldo, now would be the time to do it. But Jose hasn't been looking too shabby over his last couple of fights, right? Goes out there and outworks uh, Rob Font over five rounds. Uh, the fight before that just torches Pedro Munoz and probably one of his best striking performances in recent memory. Um, and then the fight before that, Piotr Jan, can we really... You know, hate on him too much for that. It's Piotr motherfucking yeah. That's that's kind of some slack there. Um, but he's shown that you know, I, I remember when he was making his uh 135 pound debut and the first couple of fights that he had down there, everybody's like, Oh, you know, he should not be making this weight cut, he should not be going down, you know, it's not good for him. But he's proven a lot of people wrong by going out there and getting a couple solid wins. This is a winnable fight for him as well, right? Whenever you see plus money beside a legend like Jose Aldo, you are intrigued pretty much every single time out. Now, Marab, we know what his 
shtick is, right? Go out there and get a gajillion takedowns per fight and just win just based off of uh, pressure and, and takedowns and output. That's pretty much how he wins his fights. But the one thing that we're seeing less and less now is judges scoring takedowns, right? Do something with takedowns now. You have to go out there and land significant strikes from on top. You got to do some damage from on top to get the judge's eye and to actually get the, something actually uh, scored in your favor there. Looks like my guy Cody just saw a ghost for a second. I'm sure that's somebody just walking into the room. But that was hilarious because I just switched from the the screen from the tail of the tape to you, and you're just like, "Oh my god, what the fuck?" I was is looking that? on the side. Uh, yeah, I, I know, I know. Somebody probably just walked in. But either way, um, you have to do something with the takedowns. Is what I'm getting at. So where I'm thinking this fight's going to go is Marab will land the takedowns. It's inevitable, right? I know Jose Aldo boasts a 90% takedown defense, but he's never fought somebody like. Marab Devalishvili, who has the gas tank and the wrestling ability that he has. It's the get-ups of Jose Aldo that I'm hoping that is still there. If he gets back to his feet, if he's able to land some big shots and get some damage off, he has the potential of hurting Marab and landing some significant damage. We've seen Marab a little bit flaky with his striking, right? And I mean his striking defense. He's a little bit wild and reckless at times because he just uses that to close the distance, to get his hands on you, to drag you to the mat. I think that's going to be a little be a little bit difficult dealing with a guy like Jose Aldo, who you know he's been very much so leaning on body work nowadays, right? He's really working the body of his opponents, and that usually allows you to stay ready for takedowns coming from your opponent, and also could be a great target to try to hit Marab's head whenever Marab tries to change levels and and, and land a takedown of his own. I think Aldo, for one, I think he could knock out Marab here. I think plus four fifty on his knockout line is a solid spot. But even for him to go out there and outstrike and land the more damaging blows and win a decision is absolutely in play as well. I get the Marab love. All the steam is on him. All the hype is on him. And how can you not love him, especially when he's landing, like I said, fucking 15 fights, uh, 15 takedowns per fight. Like, that's just his shtick. But the reason he's landing that is just because he can't control these guys on the ground. So that leaves opportunities for Jose Aldo to go out there and land the more damaging blows on the feet and possibly even find a knockout of his own. I've always said, if you can get somebody with solid enough get-ups, and I'm not even going to say takedown defense because no matter what, you're getting taken down by Marab. No matter how good of a defensive wrestler you are, you're going to get taken down. But a guy with solid get-ups, a decided striking advantage, and decent enough cardio to at least give you give us a solid eight to ten minutes of work that type of guy is going to give marab issues marlon marais you know almost finished him emptied the gas tank trying to finish marab in that first round and then ultimately paid for it at the ending of that first and then early in the second round i think we'll see enough work here from Jose aldo to get the damage off and win a decision or eventually get that early knockout here so my favorite prop here is uh aldo by ko at plus 450 i'm seeing plus 500 in a couple of spots but even the money line shot on him here around plus 110 plus 120 you know, this is the biggest step up for Marab Devalishvili. He's going to have to be on his A game to get this dub. But I think that the legend, the 35-year-old Jose Aldo might be a little bit too much for him at this point in time. So give me Aldo KO plus 450. What are you thinking here? Am I giving Aldo too much credit or is this Marab's time? No, man, it's interesting. In 27 combined UFC and WEC fights, Jose Aldo has only been taken down more than once. One time. Frank Yeager took him down twice. One time. That's it. So it's like history is definitely sorry, on sorry, his sorry. Side. Let me just let me just add one thing there. Uh, in that fight, Edgar only controlled him for a total of fifty-seven seconds. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's the same thing like his last time out. Rob Font takes him down right at the top of the round. But it's like right away, it's just like Rob Font scrambling to try to maintain position on him. Jose Aldo's up, and then all of a sudden Font realizes, like, man, yeah, this is this is not the game plan. Like, I'm not going to be able to just continuously hold him down. So, 
Yeah, he's got 90% takedown defense for a reason. Guys have been having a lot of trouble throughout the entirety of his career taking him down and, as you mentioned, holding him down. So it's in su super important in this matchup that he's going to do exactly that and get back up. This is a five-round fight. I think I'm taking Rob Devashvili. I think he's just going to slowly, methodically start to break away at his man, get the best of him, and then the longer down the stretch, maybe then the takedowns land. Maybe then the power, the, the volume punching starts to add up. Maybe then that ground and pound starts to get mixed in. But in a three-round fight, like all of a bad, bad man. You mentioned the fact that he lost to Peter Yan. He won the second round against Peter Yan, outstruck him, right? This yeah. guy is still at the top of his game. Went over Cheeto Vera, won the first round, lost the second, and then all of a sudden takes his back, puts both hooks in. When have you seen Aldo use that BJJ black belt recently? But he's a smart fighter. He's got a lot of back class, and he's got a lot of tools to win this fight. So with Marab Devashvili, I think we all love these. He's Georgian. He's not Russian, but... We love these powerhouse guys. We love these guys that go out there. They, 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 everything they do is very physical. They ragdoll you to the ground. They put a beating on you. And for that reason, I think that everybody loves Marab Devashvili. But look inside of the record a little bit closer. The Cody Stamen fight, two fights back, he takes Stamen down five times and he gets about a minute and a half worth of control time on him. He can't hold Stamen down at all. In fact, Stamen looks good in that fight and wins the third round. So he wins a 29-28 over Cody Stamen. Didn't have a whole lot of success with his wrestling. His striking looked kind of stiff for the most part. And Stamen is actually on record multiple places afterwards being like, I did not lose that fight. He thinks he won. I thought he lost. It was actually a really close fight. And go back and watch it. Very close fight. Now you get Marlon. And Marlon's got him dead to rights on his feet. Crashes face first into the canvas. Two knockdowns in the first round. He looks hurt. But Marlon tends to cast out and lose after having a whole lot of success. That's classic Marlon Marais in a nutshell. I think with Jose, you got multiple problems on your hand. If he clips you and he hurts you, he's not going anywhere. If you get him in a bad spot, he's not quitting on himself, right? I think he's just a little bit more well-rounded. Yeah, he lost to Marlon in Marlon's debut, but you know there was another fight where just like he was finding his footing and he was getting better. That was his band and weight debut. Since then, he's just looked better and better. I think he's trending in the right direction. I think if the fight stays standing, he's got a good chance to clip Marab Dvashvili. I think if the fight hits the ground, he's got a good chance to just pop back up. As you mentioned, Marab Dvashvili not known for his big ground and pound. Yeah, he did against Marlon. But in all of his other fights, it's actually a little bit light in the ground and pound uh, stats. So even if he gets Aldo down, doesn't really do much with that ground control, and Aldo pops back up, rips him to the body, and he lands a nice hook up top, it's going to be a problem. Last but not least, the punch that had Marab rocked from Marlon, which he never saw coming, was the left hook. And that's actually Jose Aldo's best punch. So I do got a feeling that he clips him or he sprawls and brawls him. But uh, again, listen, underdogs are going to come through. These cards look like all the favorites on paper should get the victory. But there's going to be some of these guys that uh, sneaky, sneaky, talented come through. Jose Aldo as a as an underdog, you're not going to get that a whole lot, right? So if you were going to back the old dog to go out there and put on one more, I think now would be the time. And uh, at plus money, sure, why not? Knockout, though, which I think was the way you were mentioning you had it, I, I just I don't know. Like, Marab could take one hell of a punch. We know that. He got rocked. He got back up. I think he fights through. I just think the judges are going to award Jose Aldo, the aged legend, by doing the better work standing and maybe, you know, increase it towards him by decision. But when you get plus money on the money line, don't feel the need to chase a certain prop. But I think I would take Jose Aldo by decision if I was trying to force one. How about a, a tenfold turban spot for you here? Uh, although by sub plus uh, eighteen hundred club and sub 
maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, well, he sees the best... that Marlon couldn't get him out of there with punches, so let's follow that up with some uh, a submission attempt instead. You know what? It's certainly possible. And then, yeah, it's like this guy tends to shoot his head right into submission attempts, and maybe you can snatch up something. And I, I don't know. It's 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 kind of been done. But I think the real move is I'm looking at it. Liam Kerrigan. Get that guy to judge you. Because that's the same guy that gave Ricky Simone the submission win. <laughs> and there was there was no tap. There was no tap. No tap. And I think I think Marab would have got right back up to his feet if not for the fact that the ref was like, "No, man, lie down," and held him down. Told him not to get up. Now it looks like he's so hurt from the submission attempt that he was out cold that he didn't get up. Where that's a bullshit one. But you've seen him get snagged in that guillotine choke. I suppose Aldo could do it. I'm leaning towards the Tyson Pedro plus 300 by submission. That's where I would love to snag one. Aldo, meanwhile, I think decision. But uh, yeah, I can see him getting the knockout. Simple fact that Marab, Marab hasn't really, I mean, he got hurt bad against Marlon Marais. But you got to look at the fact that Tarion Ware, very undersized flyweight boxer. Brad Katona, no punching power. Casey Kenny, not known for his punching power. Gustavo Lopez, very run-of-the-mill. John Dodson, almost 40, no longer with the promotion. Cody Stamen did knock out Eddie Wineland, which you know pretty much everybody does. But outside of that, he does not have any KO wins. He's a more of a decision guy, right? So Marlon was the first power guy he fought, and he got rocked. Now Aldo is very much a power guy as well. He can hurt you up top. He can hurt you on the ground. You started off the whole breakdown by being like, Aldo's last fight, he uh, outworked Rob Font. No, not true. He got outworked, but the power was the difference. Rob's landing jabs. Rob's sticking and moving. Rob almost doubles him up on the punching stats. So it's like Aldo sits down on his punches and he connects on the big ones that do damage. And he drops Rob Font three or four times in that fight. Had him hurt throughout the majority of it. Yeah, I would have to say this one could be a similar situation. Just like wait for that perfect punch and sit this guy down. Yeah, there is actually a, a special prop here as well from Cloudbet in regards to this this uh this fight. I just lost it. Give me one second to pull it right back up for you guys. But it had to do with obviously the over-unders on Devalishvili takedowns. Uh yeah, successful takedowns. Over under three and a half. What do you think of here? Yeah, I would say the under, because again, the narrative we just drummed up is Aldo probably stuffs them more often than not. No one's ever taken him down three times in 27 Zufa appearances. Um you know, three, three and a half, you know, he's going to have to be taken down four times. But if anybody's going to do it, it's Marab. But again, Marab's numbers are against lower level guys, right? He's never gone out there and taken Aldo down that many times. And I don't know. I would say the under. I would say the under on that. But um, the thing with takedowns is that you don't need much control, right? Like you could just trip yeah. a guy down for two seconds. He pops back up. They're going to give you one. And I could see Marab maybe if he pursues takedowns hard, if he does what Rob Font did, Rob Font took Aldo down early in the first. He could do that. Right. But eventually he's going to start to tire. Eventually he's going to start to make mistakes. And I think eventually the judges are going to, like you mentioned before, they're going to see, geez, Marab had three minutes of control time and a couple of takedowns that Aldo got right back up. And then uh, Aldo connected with a couple of flashy punches because the dude's such a legend and it's a big arena pay per view. There's fans in attendance. Everything Aldo does gets a pop from the crowd, believe me. And so that's that, that he wants to do. He just needs he just needs to land a couple shots here and there, and the eye catching blows, and hopefully get the decision. So to answer your question, I think I would take the under three and a half takedowns for Marab Devashvili. But again, it's like it's Marab Devashvili. It's kind of what he does, right? It's kind of hard to uh, think that he's not going to get that many. It's just I think styles make fights, and this is the style that hopefully prevents him from doing so. 
Yeah. Uh, again, I think the number that they set at three and a half is the perfect like spot for to get action either way. But I'd be right there with you as well with the under three and a half. Hopefully, that's going to be due to Aldo knocking him out clean, so he doesn't even get the chance to get one. <laughs> let's see how that goes. All right, let's move on to the co-main event here. It's a big middleweight matchup that we got between Luke Rockhold finally making his return after uh, nearly three years outside of the cage. He's taken on Paulo Costa. Interestingly enough, it's hilarious how they actually have the images set up on this because Paulo Costa is so say massive that, next to him. Honestly, they're just telling you, take the money on Paulo. <laughs> it's like, bro, his biceps look like photoshopped in this picture. It's insane. But I also think it's from his fight week when he fought Marvin Vittori up at 205 pounds. And that picture they have of Luke Rockhold is of him of like at 185 pounds. Both guys, their last fights taking place at 205 pounds. If you guys remember, Luke Rockhold tried changing his career around by going up to 205 pounds, took on the Polish power. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the night the Polish power was born when Jan Blachowicz sent him into the, the shadow realm. But we haven't seen him since July of 2019. And then on the flip side for Paulo Costa, you know, came in in that uh, debacle of a fight week that he had against Marvin Vittori, where he changed the weight class the week of the fight, and there's nothing the UFC could do about it. So they're like, all right, you know what? Let's fight at 205, and that's that is what ended up happening. Now, both guys coming in tremendous shape this week, going back down to 185 pounds. The big narrative here that I think that not a lot of people are talking about is this is the last fight on Paulo Costa's contract. So he might look to go out there and go out with the bank so he could have some leverage in the negotiating room. Uh, but I could also see him just saying, fuck it, let's peace out in the UFC because he doesn't seem to be super happy there. Maybe go over to the PFL, try to win a milli there like our guy Shane Burgos is attempting to do. Or even go over to Bellator because I'm sure Bellator would be willing to pay him a lot of money considering the kind of draw that he has become. You know, Not just by being a, a finisher, 11 KOs and 13 wins, but also that brash guy that we know on Twitter and social media because this guy is absolutely hilarious on there. Maybe he crossing the line a couple times, but still hilarious nonetheless. Uh, interesting fight, right? Like Luke Rockhold, skill-wise, I know he's 37 years old, but skill-wise, got to say he's better than Paulo Costa, right? At his best, Luke Rockhold was one of the best 185ers in the world. You know, nasty body kicks, nasty head kicks, uh, big power in his hands, uh, good ground and power when he's able to get guys to the ground, crushing top pressure. Like, I thought he was one of the best 185ers to ever grace the octagon, but it's his body and his durability that just have not been able to hold up, right? That's why he's been out of the cage for as long as he has. He was scheduled to have a matchup in uh, November of 2021, but unfortunately he had to pull out because he had a herniated disc. Like, it's everything up the wazoo with uh, Luke Rockhold in terms of injuries and, and the lack of durability that he has. And then mix in the fact that he's been knocked out brutally twice in his last two fights. And now you're giving him probably the worst matchup for him on the way back in terms of a big power puncher in Paulo Costa. So I do like uh, Paulo Costa here. I do think he'll be able to end, uh, end his night early in this spot. But I'm just not so you know keen on paying that big chalk on Paulo Costa at minus 360. The only reason he's minus 360 is because everybody thinks he's going to knock out Luke Rockhold. So why not just take the knockout here at minus 150 on DraftKings is what you can get. I see up to minus 175, which is probably the better way to go rather than taking that money line. Because uh, if Luke Rockhold can survive that you know, knockout power, he probably has the better minute-winning capabilities here, right? What if he looks to take... Uh, uh, Paulo Costa to the mat and try to just rough him up on the mat there. It's absolutely possible. So I, I would not at all 
advise parlaying Paulo Costa up here at minus 360, although he should go out there and get this knockout. You know, I don't want to say easily, but that is the most likely outcome in this spot, which is why I'd rather say take the KO minus 150 instead. Uh, there is a prop for this, which I'll tee up to you, and then you can take over with the breakdown. The cloud bat prop for this matchup, I think you're going to agree with it. Over under total knockdowns from Paulo Costa, it's set at 0.5. Over 0.5 is minus 143. Under 0.5 is plus 120. What are you thinking here about this matchup? You are muted as well, by the way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's a better price tag than him by knockout. But yeah, with Luke Rockle, uh, Bisbing knocked him down twice, but everybody else, they knock him all the way out. Uh, Uriel Romero got an extra punch in there for good measure. But again, it's like he typically takes the one shot and falls over. And I think that's what I'm trying to get back to here is that you can overthink matchups. And... Look at last weekend, Josh Quinlan versus versus uh, Wit, right? Jason Wit. You didn't have to yeah. bet any other fight on the card other than that one. But realistically, that was it. You and I knew it. Everybody knew it. But then you talk yourself into, well, you know, that it's moved up a weight class now. You know, it's a 170. Wit might be able to take a better punch. And Wit's James Krause's guy, and Krause's talking shit online, saying, you know, he's it's a good matchup for him, and this and that. This, and then you, you talk into it. But the fact of the matter is, is that one guy could not take a punch. You know, the, the card I was just at in Nashville, Kama Worthy's on one side of it. Kama Worthy's got nine pro losses. Eight of them are by knockout. The man quite simply cannot take a shot no more. So what do you think is going to happen on Trevor Pete? Doesn't matter he's plus 185. Doesn't matter he was training himself in a garage in Alabama 16 months ago. If he hits him, which is a fist fight, he's probably going to hit him. He's going to put him over, right? And I think that's my thing with Rockhold. You, you actually expressed a lot of my same sentiments when you said Luke Rockhold's one of the most talented middleweights you've seen. I agree. I think the guy's wrestling's top-notch. I think his grappling's top-notch. He's long. He's rangy. Excellent body kick from the southpaw stance. Hands not too bad. But uh, he got away with doing this, like, check left hook counter. He's super yeah. open. It's how it's how he counters. He doesn't block. He doesn't evade. He, like, tries to counter with a hook. And the older he got, his reflexes start slowing down. Guys start hitting the mark. He wasn't chinny, and then Bisbing knocks him out. And that's fine. And the Yol fight, well, Yol's got big power, but he's winning the Yol fight. When's the first round? When's the second round? Third round, he's, he's clunky. He is knocked out. Then he moves up to 205 against Jan Bokovic. You'll remember he had a leg sleeve in that fight, right? He's wearing yeah. a sleeve on his left leg because he's got such bad staph infections in the leg. He's had multiple surgeries to clear up the staph infection. And he's grafted his leg that he had to wear that sleeve over top of it. What he saw was he was slow. He was lethargic. He looked awful at 205. He tried to take Jan Blakovic down and had zero success. And then I thought he won the first round, but then like the 10-second clapper, Jan floors him, boots him in the head with a head kick, and Rockhold's done right then and there. But the buzzer goes. So they gimp him back over to his stool, and then he gets knocked out in the second round instead. But it's like it's, it's everything. He's fighting a clean game plan, and then he just gets hit. He's fighting a clean game plan, and then he just gets hit. How many people other than Israel Adesanya have ever fought Paulo Costa and just not gotten hit? Like the guy's going to come forward. The only thing is, you, you, it would be irresponsible to bet this fight before the weigh-ins. Like, does anybody think he's going to make eighty-five? His last fight against Vittori, I thought he looked pretty good. It's at two hundred five, and he just quit trying to cut weight at some point. Everything that's coming to Rockhold's side has said he expects him to miss weight. Everything you see out of uh, the <laughs> everything you see. Up. What yeah, a, unfortunately, bad knockout. It's worse when he's on the ground. Like, it looks like he's doing a sit-up. Like, in the Yoel Romero fight, I was like, oh, shit. Dude. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, that was that was the last one against Yon. Yo Yoel, he's up against the cage and just completely KO'd. But Here's the, uh, sorry, let me just pull up that. Uh, does, does three years off make your chin any better? 
Maybe, maybe. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I just think his durability was gone. Coming back into fighting sports in your late 30s is not the most wisest thing going. And I think Paulo Costa probably goes out there and clips him at some point. I can see Luke winning this fight. I can see Luke having some success in this fight. But ultimately, he's going to get clipped with something, and it, and it puts him away. The two things, yeah, there you go. The two things worth uh, watching, though, would be the weigh-ins to make sure that Paulo Costa gets it. And last but not least, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's mentioned it, but Luke Rockhold is considerably better on the ground. I mean yeah. considerably better on the ground. The only two times you've seen Paulo Costa on the ground in the UFC, Izzy Adesanya dropped him, got on top, and like he had no game. He allowed Izzy to just pass him out, flatten him out, put both hooks in, and punch him out from that position, which is a bad look. And then the Marvin Vittori fight, he actually pulled guard on a guillotine choke in the second round against Marvin Vittori, who just easily passes, flattens him out, and spends like two and a half minutes on top of him. He don't got much game off his back. Luke passes to mount extremely smooth. His last win in MMA is over Dave Branch. Of course, Dave Branch, a Henzo Gracie BJJ black belt, former two-weight world champion for World Series of Fighting. Like, guy had good ground credentials. <laughs> he beat the shit out of him, but here's why I don't got the balls to pull the trigger the other way. If you remember that fight, Branch lights him up with like a four or five punch combination standing. Luke Rockhold's on the cage. His head's bouncing like a pinball machine. It's like, holy shit, Dave Branch is about to knock him out. And then he got on top of Branch and put a beating on him for real. His ground game's very, very good, top-notch. If he gets Paulo Costa to the ground and gets on top of him, I think he puts him away. But Paulo's big. He's strong. He's not exactly easy to take down. Luke Rockhold's wrestling, it's mostly trips. It's mostly body lock waist, like body lock takedowns. He's got no double leg. He's got a very weak single leg. He needs to out-muscle guys and use his leverage. Paulo is not going to – I don't think he's just going to take him down at will. And Paulo uh, – with one for four, Yoel Romero and takedowns against Paulo Costa. Like the dude's, he's a big, thick machine of a man. So he's hard to take down. And as such, I don't know that Luke just takes him down. And if he does not, he's getting KO'd stiff. So I got to stay on Team Paulo Costa. I think he wins. I think he wins by knockout. The only time I'm going to be shitting my pants is if this thing hits the ground. Luke Rockles on top. Uh, I'll, I'll try to pull the shoot right away because like I got a bad feeling. Luke's exceptionally better on the ground. I'm just hoping he gets KO'd before he gets there. Yeah, a part of me is actually cheering for Luke. You know, I mean, I, I've been a big Luke fan. I was there the night that he beat Weidman for the for the title back at UFC 194. Like, I've always believed in the guy to think that he's again one of the best middleweights to ever be out there. And just to see him, you know, go one and three in his last four fights, see him have that those injuries, uh, injury issues, the durability issues. It's just not the way I want to see him go out. Honestly, I know he's pushing 38 soon. But to go out on a win would be much better than to continuously get knocked out. But unfortunately, just as I see it, just as you see it, he'll likely get knocked out in this spot. All right. Let us move on to the main event. Before, But before we do, once again, shout out to the 150 live viewers that we have in here. Miss you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. You guys can follow Cody on Twitter at CJ Safdick. You can follow me on Twitter at MMALOTN. And you can support the show by, like I said, hit that like, hit that subscribe. And also... Uh, check out betonline.ag. Make sure you guys check them out. Link is in the description below. They'll match your initial deposit up to 1000 bucks. They have odds on pretty much everything MMA. And I promise you guys will be very happy by signing up with them if you haven't already. All right. Main event time. Let's get into this. Welterweight title fight. Rematch of a fight that took place in December of 2015. That night, Kamar Usman got his hand raised over Leon Edwards via decision. Uh, in that fight, he was a minus 240 favorite, plus 200 was a return on Leon Edwards. 
this time around, it's minus 360 for Kamaru Usman and plus 295 the return on Leon Edwards. Now, Leon has not lost a fight since that fight. We're talking about seven years going undefeated. Obviously, he has that no contest sprinkled in there with the Bilal Muhammad two fights ago. But this guy's been deserving of a title shot for a while now, in my opinion, right? You possibly could have given him that title shot even before the Bilal fight, especially considering how Usman has continued to clear out this welterweight division by defeating the top guys time and time again. Uh, you know, Leon mainly known as a striker, but if you go and watch his fights, this guy really implements grappling into his game a lot more than people expected. You know, he was the guy to shoot on Gunnar Nelson in the first round in that fight. He was the guy to shoot on Rafael Dos Anjos early in their fight. Like, he mixes up the martial arts pretty well for somebody that a lot of people just expect to be a striker. But he'll obviously have the striking advantage here, even with the striking improvements that we've been seeing from Kamar Usman fight after fight, and not to mention all the vicious finishes he's been getting as of late as well. But I expect for Usman to have success in this fight. He's going to have to get this fight to the ground. He's going to have to look to utilize what he did in that first fight. And I'm not going to count out the possible improvements that Edwards has made with his defensive grappling. But we all know that Kamaru Usman is just another level, right? The guy's takedowns are insane. His ability to control guys are very top-notch as well. Uh, and he's just improving every aspect of his game. Uh, I like Kamar Usman quite a lot in this spot. I know at a certain time he's going to eventually lose, but he's not going to lose to an opponent. He's going to lose to his body. He's going to lose to, you know, getting up there in age. He's 35 now, right? He's getting up there in age. And I think that's ultimately going to be his downfall because at a certain point, the way that he pushes his body, the way and level in which that he competes with will only take him so far in the body that he currently has. And uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for him to do that for another two, maybe three years. But luckily for him, I think he has all his facilities about him here to defeat a guy like Leon Edwards. The takedowns, the ground and pound, the improved striking. I like Usman quite a lot in this spot. Uh, the, 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 the prop that I'm kind of considering, which I haven't really pulled the trigger on as of yet, but uh, shout out to FanDuel. They have round four, five, and decision for Kamar Usman sitting at minus 155. I love that spot. Like... You know, we've seen Leon Edwards slow down in fights, not just the Nate Diaz fight, which, you know, has become synonymous now with Nate Diaz having that as his profile picture. Now, the one moment of success he had in 25 minutes against Leon Edwards, that's all we're talking about. But we've seen it in other fights. We've seen guys start to take over against Leon Edwards late in fights. Kamaru Usman could absolutely do that. He has the cardio advantage here, and he pretty much has every advantage in this fight outside of the striking. But even that gap is not as wide as the rest of the gaps that Usman has over Edwards in this spot. So I think there is a possibility of a late Usman finish, um, but I do think ultimately he'll win by decision, which is why I like round four or five decision. Um, at my, minus 155, I think that's a, a steal of a line here. I don't think that there's an early finish. I believe the only way for Leon Edwards to win, you know, is a Hail Mary KO more than anything. And that line currently is sitting at, uh, Edwards by KO is sitting at plus 500. Not super enthused about that myself. I think Usman reigns supreme once again. I think he gets his hand raised once again. And he continues to solidify himself as one of the greatest fighters of all time. So give me Usman. Usman by decision will be the official prop that i'm going to go with but if you have access to round four or five decision i think that's going to be the way to go what are you thinking here cody what do you what do you like in this spot 
Yeah, well, I'll give Leon uh, Edwards one thing. I think he is supremely talented and his guy that is very much avoided. So the joke that I threw up on Twitter is like the guy hasn't really beat any of the elite guys in the division. But that's not for lack of effort. Like Colby did not want to fight him. You know, Gilbert Burns did not want to fight him. George Mazadal, you know, biggest coward of the bunch, did not want to fight him. Sucker punched him backstage. I only call Mazadal a coward. He used to be one of my favorite fighters. The guy's fucking weird now, dude. Money got to his head, 100%. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Just, he's not the same guy he used to be. But uh, yeah, you, you sucker punch a guy scheduled. backstage and then you refuse to give him a fight, like turn it down four or five times. Like, come on, that's that's kind of that's kind of bitch made, I guess. But it's like he, he Edwards is down to fight all the best guys. Unfortunately, he just don't come to fruition. And as a result, he's beaten a lot of these mid-level guys. And I just find it very hard to gate, get a gauge on it. His wins over, you know, Peter Sabata, Donald Cerrone, the Gunnar Nelson fight. Okay, The Gunnar Nelson fight's a three-round fight. He gets taken down. He gets controlled. He gasses out, and he lost the third round to Gunnar Nelson. I don't think it should have been a split, but, I mean, he lost the third round to Gunnar Nelson. That's a bad look. The next fight against Rafael Dos Anjos. Rafael Dos Anjos is a lightweight, okay? When you look at, oh, Leon Edwards took him down three times on 10 attempts. He got taken down seven times by Colby Covington. He got taken down 12 times against Kamaru. He got taken down in his subsequent fight. He got taken down seven times by Michael Chiesa. Everybody at 170 that fights Rafael Osanios takes him down. So I don't know how that one could be construed as impressive. Um, and then you look at then you look at the Bilal Muhammad fight. A lot of people on Twitter, I said, what's his best win? And like probably a good 20% of them said Bilal Muhammad as if he had won that fight. And their reasoning was, well, it looked like he was on his way to winning that fight. How do you know? He eye pokes Bilal Muhammad in the first round, keeps his fingers long. The one joke that someone's like, dude, he looked like prime John Jones in that fight. It's a good <laughs> bit because that's how he fights. Long eye poke. He pokes Bilal Muhammad in the eye. The first round ends. Yeah, he wins it. This is a five-round fight. Bilal Muhammad's first round five-round fight. Guy can grapple. Guy's strong. Guy's physical. He's having a little bit trouble getting a hold of the range, but he's going to start coming on strong. What does Leon Edwards do? Pokes him right back in the eye and then is unapologetic about it and refuses to give Bilal Muhammad a rematch. Well, I mean, I was winning the fight. Yeah, that's bullshit, man. He's avoiding those top guys. And then he gets a Nate Diaz fight. So the Nate Diaz fight is concerning for multiple reasons. People remember the he almost got knocked out in the fifth. Now, I'll tell you what's more concerning than that. He The striking numbers was he outlanded Diaz 77 to 76. He got outstruck cleanly in the fourth and fifth round by Nate Diaz and barely outstruck him in the other two rounds. One single round, he dominated Nate Diaz. The other rounds, he's kicking him in the leg. So if Nate, a guy who is not a top 10 guy in the division, can give you a tough fight and almost pull it off in the end, tough to jump from that to fighting Kamaru Usman, right? Here's my other concern, right? Uh, Leon Edwards, excellent in the clinch. He's got the elbows. He's got the long-rangey body kick. He's a fluent striker. He's crisp. He's athletic. Good. He does not want to strike for prolonged periods of time with guys. Every single one of his fights, he's attempting to mix down the takedowns. Took Nate Diaz down four times despite a clear striking advantage. Tried to take down Bilal Muhammad. Didn't have any luck. Rafael Desanu's fight took him down. Gunnar Nelson, as you mentioned, he attempted to take him down. He is mixing in his wrestling because he's not comfortable striking for prolonged periods of time. Whereas against Kamaru Usman, I don't think he's taking him down. Therefore, he's going to be forced to strike. And if he does strike, there's no there's no plan B. There's no exit strategy. There's no, well, if he's if, if the pressure's getting too much, I'll take him down. I'll clinch him up. That's what he's been doing. I don't know that that's an option on the table. And then last but not least, you've seen him fight in five rounds three times, okay? He went five rounds with Donald Cerrone. Obviously, that didn't age very well. But he only he lands 84 significant strikes in 25 minutes. His fight with Rafael Dos Anjos, where he did dominate him, no doubt about that, he lands 92. It's a career high for him. His last time out against Nate Diaz, who's essentially a punching bag, 
in this day and age. My boy, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect him, but I think if you're watching this show, it means you're hardcore. If you're hardcore, I'm not lying to you. You know what I'm saying. Nate Diaz is a punching bag at this point. And, and, and in five rounds, you hit him 77 significant times. That's low, man. Usman could do what he did last time in pursuit takedowns, but even if he does it, 123 landed against Colby Covington. Um, 83 landed against Gilbert Burns, and the fight landed 34 seconds into the third round. You know, the Masvidal rematch, 94. The Colvington, the first fight, 175. The fight with Kamar with Tyron Woodley, 141. Like, on a bad night at the office, he scores over 100 significant strikes in, in, in 15 to 20 to 25 minutes. So I think he's got more output than Leon Edwards standing. He's got more power than Leon Edwards standing. He's got better wrestling. The only thing is, like, father time, you know. The guy's 35. Both of his knees are shot. He didn't look particularly great in the fifth round against Colby Covington. It's going to it's gonna catch up to him at some point. It will, definitely. I just don't know that this Saturday is that point where father time takes him out. So I, I think Usman gets the job done once more. And if he decides to move up to 205, like, he's, he's going to test his luck eventually and get himself trouble. But I, I think as far as 170 pounds, I don't think there's anybody on the roster right now that takes him out. Yeah, I think the closest that's going to come to it is Kobe Compton. We obviously saw Kobe go over two against him. And Hamza Chmaev, who's just peeking around the corner, just got to get past Nate Diaz next month, and he could potentially get that shot. I uh, I, I hammered Kobe Covington in the first matchup, and I told everybody out there, I was like, Kobe Covington is the best welterweight on the planet, and he's the second best welterweight I've ever seen next to George St. Pierre. Like, the guy, the guy can do it all. He's got infinite cardio. His wrestling's top-notch. No one's stuffing it. His striking, although it leaves something to the imagination, He's a work in progress. He's coming forward. He's letting his hands go. People don't like the persona, but as far as the skill goes, this guy's extremely skilled. So I did back him in the first fight against Kamaru. Kamaru showed me that night that th there's levels to this. He was just better than Colby Covington. He was better than him. His wrestling was just as good, if not better. His cardio was just as good, if not better. His striking was more tight and technical. After that fight, that's when he linked up with Trevor Whitman. That's when I started to see his hands were getting a lot better. Knocks out George Mazadal in the rematch. Um, you know, knocks out Gilbert Burns. Um, you're just seeing him getting a lot more comfortable with his striking. And I think that's all he's trending in the right direction. But he's proved to me this is the best guy on the planet. And he's going to take something special to go out there and beat him. Or he's just going to have to get old eventually and age himself out. With Leon, like Leon's supremely talented, but like he didn't have to fight Gilbert Burns. He didn't have to fight Colby Covington. He didn't have to fight one of these guys that was going to counter wrestle him and grapple him. You know, even Chemayev, I know I said everyone was turning down Leon Edwards. Well, Chemayev tried to bark up that tree a few times and he was all, no, no, I'm going to wait for a title fight. Like they don't want to fight each other. The only guy on the roster that wants to fight every single guy on the roster is Kamara Usman. And I'm not even saying he wants to fight everybody on the roster at 170. Dude's talking about fighting guys at 205. He just wants the smoke. Quite simply that. He's fine for legacy. He's already a Hall of Famer, but he wants to be the greatest of all time. And uh, he's getting pretty close to George's accolades. So uh, the guy's very talented. The sky's the limit for him. still 35. You're going to start seeing some regression at some point. I just don't think it's happening here. Don't like the price. I don't. Yeah. But my style of putting him at the top would allow give me an easy hedge out opportunity if I was going to take it. And in terms of a straight-up prop, I think Usman by Cision, minus 120. I flirted with the idea yesterday. Maybe he knocks him out. But you're using MMA math. Nate Diaz almost knocked him out, and Usman's got more power and clear, you know, cleaner striking, and it's a 25-minute fight, and he might put some pressure on him. Like, that all leads you to believe that maybe it's a finish. But, yeah, Leon Edwards is durable. You can't take that away from him. And with Kamaru Usman, I think he's going to fight a tactical approach, slowly break this guy down, not get careless, not get reckless. It's not going to be a brawl like the way Colby was. Because Colby was like, you know what? I'm losing. I'm going to get in the step right in the middle of him and start throwing. He cuts the pocket. He brawls with him on the inside. 
that has success. Leon don't fight like that. He does not. Stays to the outside and kicks the body, tries to clinch up and land an elbow. That's it. He's not going to make it a dirty fight if he needs to because he doesn't thrive in those situations. So Colby can junkyard dog him, but Leon's not going to. He's going to try to fight finesse with what Usman's got. And Usman's got finesse and grit. That's the difference. That's why he's a world champion. So yeah, yeah. I'll be taking Col Colby. I I've always said Colby is the carbon copy of Kamaru, but Kamaru is just a step above. Like it's one A, one B. Those are the two best welterweights right now. You know, if you want a title shot, you realistically should have to go through Colby Covington, but apparently you only have to go through Nate Diaz nowadays to get a title shot. Um, <laughs> that's that's where I have trouble saying this guy's going to, you know, he's jumping in there and he's the best guy and this and that. It's like the same thing you see with Valentin Shevchenko. It's like, yeah. is it the number one contender or is it the number four contender? But you've, yeah, but you've, you've already fought two, you fought three, like... That's the impression that I get. And so, um, but but it's not Leon's fault because he's had a lot of guys turn down the fight with him. He's got not the biggest name. He doesn't have, he's got a very clean and technical fight style, but he doesn't have the most exciting fight style. There's just people that just, they don't care for him. So Usman's taking a, a difficult fight in the sense that this ain't going to sell much pay-per-view no. based on him versus Edwards is they load, they loaded this bitch up. You know what I'm saying? They, they gave you Murad Dvajfili and Jose Aldo. They gave you a banger co-main event, Apollo Costa versus Luke Rockhold, where someone's getting deaded. Uh, they, they well, you also get Lucy Pudelo versus you. Well, who you know? Hey, and Harry Hunsucker, the, the people's champ. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sounds like he could be running for a state senate in Kentucky with a name <laughs> like that, 100%. But That's, yeah, uh, listen, it's it's a fun card at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Usman is fighting for more than just and new or sorry, and still. Yeah. I think he's fighting for his legacy. And that's why you'll hear John Anik and whatnot go on record. And they question motivation. It's like, no, no, no. He's like more motivated than ever. Cause he realizes for like these huge goals, he's got set up, got to take out Edwards out. And once you beat Leon Edwards, now you're two and zero against him. You never have to worry about him ever again. He does. Yeah, exactly. Right. Unless it was like a Max Holloway. He gave you everything you could handle and they want to run back a trilogy. Once you beat a guy two no, even if it's a close fight, it's pretty much dead in the water after that. So just get through this one and then let him, same thing with Colby. I beat Colby twice. Everybody wants to see it again because it was a dope fight both times. But I don't got to fight him. I already beat him twice. Let Colby be the enforcer. They got to go through Colby now. And if I beat Leon again, let Leon be the enforcer. And if there's somebody out there, if Kamzat Chemaev can beat Leon Edwards and Colby Covington, he's worthy of a title fight. But chances are most guys ain't going to beat both of them, man. I mean, that's a tough duo of guys to get through. Yeah. Uh, let's quickly get through the, these uh, cloud bet props, and they actually have four for this main event in particular, and I'll go through them one by one just to get your quick thoughts on it. Uh, first round winner, so as per the official scorecards, they have this guy winning. Usman is at minus 218, Leon Edwards at plus 181. Gotta believe that Usman wins that first round, right? Uh, like not wins in the first round, but wins it on the scorecards. Yeah, and what was the price? I don't like props minus, like that. Minus 218. I don't love props like that because for Usman, he's the champ, right? And I think he realizes he has five rounds to work with and I don't know, yeah, might just, you know, pace himself. Whereas, whereas with Leon, this is your Super Bowl. Leon is a fast yeah. starter. He's won the first round in every fight he's been in. As I mentioned, he lost the third round against Gunner. It's the third round. He lost maybe four and five, maybe not four, but certainly five against Nate Diaz. It's later. He's a quick starter, right? And so I, I could see a world where he comes in and maybe, you know, gives the first rounds to his best round of the fight. Usman takes his time. Maybe it's a first round for Leon Edwards. I'd have to go look back at the official judges' scorecards, but George Mosvidal won the first round in the first fight, I think, against Leon, against Kamaru Usman. Gilbert Burns won the first round against Kamaru Usman, clipped him in the first round. You can beat him in the first round. It's like, yeah, are you going to beat him for 25 point, yeah. minutes? So, like, 
I don't care for that prop too much. Conventional thinking, yeah, Usman's going to win the fight. He wins the first round, but that could be a trap line. Could be. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, Kamar Usman controls seconds. So you get uh, at zero seconds, he gets no control time, plus 700. One to 180 seconds, plus 175. Over 300 seconds, plus 225. And then between 180 and 300 is plus 275. Bit of a tough one to, to call there, right? Was it between, yeah, I would say the second option. The first one, it's like there probably be some control time. I don't think, yeah. I don't think Kamaru's going to shoot. I don't think he shoots at all anymore. I think his knees are hurting. In the Colby fight, you could see he was defensive wrestling, but I don't think he's offensively trying to take these guys down. But I think Leon will shoot, and then similar to how Colby shot, Usman ends up on top, right? Like he ends up stuffing the takedown and getting control time. But uh, I don't think he's looking to actively initiate uh, the grappling sequences. I think Leon will try to grapple him. And then, so for that reason, he'll get some control time, but not a ton. So give me that second option. Uh, I'm actually going to go with the the over 300 seconds. That's five minutes of control time, right? So five minutes of control time plus 225. I think he can notch that within 25 minutes here. But I don't hate the, uh, what is that, two minutes or sorry, three minutes to five minutes of, of control time that you're going to be taking at plus 275. Makes sense. All right, uh, let's go this next one. Kamar Usman's successful takedowns over under three and a half. Under, under. I don't think he's looking to wrestle. I think if he does no. take him down, it might be once or twice, but three and a half, he'd have to get four takedowns. Like, yeah, I'm not seeing it. Of course, the guy is an excellent wrestler, but you can see how his, his career started to shape, right? Like, he took down Rafael 12 times. He took down Woodley twice. He took down George Mazadal five times. And in his last three fights, he's come up with three takedowns. Two against Mazadal, one against Colby Covington. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to blame everything on his knees. He's not shooting because of his knees, but maybe he's also just comfortable with striking. He doesn't feel he has to shoot quite as much. I've also never seen him get tired before. But if you watch him after the third round in the last Colby fight, he's gas. He takes the fourth round off and he comes back in the fifth, and he arguably lost the fourth and the fifth. Right, so he might have been winded after the third. To me, the difference is Colby pushes one hell of a pace in those first three rounds. Where it's like I just don't think Leon's going to do that. Yeah, that, that's the difference maker for sure is the, the level of op opposition and how they actually fight him as well. And then last one here for the main event, uh, over under significant strikes on Leon Edwards, uh, 57 and a half. What do you think? I'm going to say over. I'm going to say over. I'm going to say over I'm because I think Usman's probably going to land somewhere in the range of just under 100, around 100, and that Leon will probably somewhat keep pace and get about 70. Um so, yeah, I think he's going to, I think maybe 60, 70, but it's still over. Did you say it was 50, 50 what? 55 and a half? 55 and a half. Yeah, 55 and a half. Right. 57 yeah, 57 and a half. And a half. I, I think Leon lands 60, maybe 70 significant strikes. I just think it'll be, you know, 30, 40 less than Kamaru, but I think he'll still have his chance to land. And if I if I did believe that Kamaru Uzman was going to come out, wrestle, 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 take him down, neutralize him, ground him, then, uh, oh, yeah, it's going to be hard to land those shots. But again, I don't think Uzman's going in there with the primary game plan of, of grapple the entire time. And so for that reason, he'll give opportunities for Leon Overs to land stuff. Not a bad number to take either. All right, let's get to the uh, the main event prop, or not the main event props, but the entire card props here real quick, and then we can get into our three best prop bets and then get out of here. Uh, let's start with main card total completed rounds. Cody, what are you thinking here? They have it set at 10 and a half. Main card completed total rounds, total rounds for the main card. Okay, okay, so... It narrows it down pretty well. No, I think we're hitting an over on that. Romanov, Tybora, 
let's be generous and say that's oh, prelims. Oh, that's prelims. Oh, sorry, that's prelims. Yeah, okay. So Pedro Hunsucker, you got one. Pudelo versus Wu. I'm leaning towards three. That's giving you four. Aldo sorry, versus sorry. you. You think Pedro and Hunsucker completes a round? Oh, is it counts as zero? Yeah, yeah. You get zero there essentially. It may complete a round, still hit the under one and a half, but yeah, okay. So let's see, you get zero there. Pudelova, Wu, you get three. Devosh Bealy versus Aldo, I'm leaning towards three. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's six, and then the main event, you might get five, right? So it could be 11 rounds right there. It's 10 and a half, and that would give you, yeah, that would give you Hunsucker getting knocked out in the first, Rockhold or Paulo, whatever, somebody getting finished in the first, and then you need. Three fights going the distance. Pudelova Wu looks like it's going dis the distance. Tavash yeah. Feely is more of a decision guy. You need to keep that in mind. Yeah. He beat up Chini Marlon Marais, but he's generally a decision guy. Like Aldo could put him away, no doubt about it. But like you could see that one going three. And the main event, I think, is I think it's competitive. I think both guys are durable. Like I think it probably gets at least into the fourth, fifth round. But uh, yeah, you're 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 split hairs, right? You're either getting nine rounds or you're getting ten rounds. And they set it perfectly at nine and a half. I'm thinking that was yeah. their reasoning. Oh, 10 and a half. Yeah. Might I'm going to take the under. under on 10 and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take the under on 10 and a half. Yeah, I think I'll take the under as well there. Uh, it's at plus 112 for anybody interested. Uh, fight of the night. What do you think is going to be fight of the night here? Fight of the night on the entire card. I am going to go with... Uh, Yeah, geez, I don't know. I would say Saldana versus Woodson wow. at plus fifteen hundred. The Silva Alta Moreno has the longest odds there at plus eighteen hundred. I, I might take a little bit of a shot on that. Like I, you know how the Silva fights. He is a berserker. He can create some chaos, and it could definitely be a fun fight. The only thing they'd have going against him is it might not last that long. Whereas other fights, you know, what's the one that you said, Devaj Aldo? Yeah, I actually said Saldana Woodson, but that, that would be my other yeah, that would be my other option, Vashvili Aldo, because it's high stakes. The, the crowd's gonna be into it, they're gonna be emotionally invested. Jose Aldo could put on a career best performance and knock him out, show he's still that same guy. Devashvili breaks this man down, takes the torch right from him, right? So high emotions, but it's the shortest price tag on the whole thing at plus seven hundred. So, you know, maybe mix it in and take you could take that one, right? But yep. uh maybe try to grab some one of these longer ones as well. Yep. Uh main card fastest finish. Main card fastest finish Pedro, plus two thirty ish is what you're getting. Paulo yeah, Costa plus four hundred. Yeah, yeah, I, I I would say probably Paulo Costa plus four hundred. Yeah. Tyson Pedro, um, he's not just gonna punch Harry Hunsucker in the face. You know what I mean? He's gonna try to chip away at his legs. Like it might take him a few minutes to eventually break the. Guy. He took four minutes to take out Ike Villanueva, right? So it's not like yeah. he's in a hurry to get it done. He's just gonna get it done when it happens. Whereas like Paulo Costa. Specifically wants to knock out Luke Rockhold and wants to do it fast. And what we've yeah. seen with Luke is like, you know, if you put that pressure on him. The only thing I don't understand about that fight is if it was the last fight on Paulo's deal, which it is, why would you give him this good of a fight? Why would you say, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a fight? Because you know he's if he wins, he's going to renegotiate. So you don't want him killing a guy. But you one, you're giving him a dude that hasn't fought in a few years, is in his late 30s, is known to get diced out in the first round. And you're a four to one favorite over him. Like the UFC never does that. They always try to give you like a tough fight. If you lose, yeah. try to renegotiate. Instead, they're like giving him a nice farewell package. Whereas like Bellator could scoop this guy out. Yeah. I, I think Johnny Eblen beats the crap out of him. I think Gegard Musasi <laughs> probably beats him up. But all yeah. the same, like he'd be run the rematch with Yo Romero back. Like who gives a shit? He, yeah. He'd have tons of fun fights in Bellator. And with PFL, it's like almost a foregone conclusion he'd win a million dollars because PFL is just unbelievably bad. 
uh, entertaining, sure, but like the, the the roster are guys are all guys that are outside of the top twenty five in the UFC, and ninety percent of the guys have been released from the UFC, and they're making a million dollars to fight in a tournament, and not even a one night tournament. It's like yeah, spread out over the course of a year, like unbelievable. So I don't know, I don't know why you'd set them up to cash out on a big one like Usually that. Usually it's the other way around. Usually, like you said, like they give them the tough matchup, so it's harder for them in the negotiating room. But I could see Bellator fucking throwing him, you know, 500k per fight, 750k per fight, just because of the name value that he brings to their promotion, right? So you know what, Bellator, they weren't super smart with it, but what they tried to do is they tried to take like so, a couple of shots, right? They were like, "Yo, we're, we we got Gilbert Melendez." It's like, yeah. oh, Gilbert's not what he used to be you know what i mean he's on the tail end of his career and he's not a competitive lightweight anymore it's just melendez it is what it is yeah gilbert melendez had signed over there and then um I, they did with leota machida right you do it with phil phil davis it's like they tried to lure guys that weren't really missing anything now paulo is not going to be a world champion he wouldn't win a world title at 185 he wouldn't win a world title at 205 but he's only 31 years old he's very good looking he's got an excellent online presence and there's tons of exciting fights where you put him on a car, people are going to want to watch and you can put him in fights. I don't think he's making middleweight for long, but in theory, you can match him up at middleweight. You can match him up at 205. You can match him up at plenty of catchweights in between. And the guy would probably be willing to fight heavyweight if need be. So there's just so much that you can do with a guy like that, that the UFC's jammed, but Bellator would have free reign. I just, again, I don't know why you'd set him up with like, not this guy's going to take your best shots and make you fight for it. It's like, you might knock this guy out in spectacular fashion and not take any damage. And now we're going to have to pay you based on that. Not, eh, yeah, you almost won. It was like, yeah, you know, imagine renegotiating after the Marvin Vittori fight. Yeah, It'd be like, dude, you can't make middleweight anymore. You just fought a middleweight at 205 and you lost that. Marvin had lost for the title. He's not even like, you know, he's a top five guy in the division, top three guy in the division, but you've lost to him up a weight class. You're having weight troubles. You're not what you used to be. You've lost couple fights in a row. You look terrible in your one shot against Israel Adesanya. Yeah, maybe there's not a whole lot of upside there. But if you let him go out there and dice a guy in the first round and it's all over Sports Center the next day, like you don't think that's going to help his cause. So the UFC just doesn't usually do that. But yeah, I, they've set it up for some reason, and I think he probably cashes. So well, fastest, cash. fastest knockout on the card, plus 400. It, it makes sense. On the main card, yes. And then on the full card, he's actually plus 1,200. So you might as well just take that spot, especially if you don't think anybody else on the prelims is going to get a quick finish. Maybe Daniel De Silva has some value at plus 2,100, considering how quickly and how fast he normally fights. But I think the Altamirano more than likely wins that spot. Yeah, the only other thing you could think of is like an Alexander Romanov. Like uh, if he does get Tybor to the ground and it smashes him. Tybor, again, he has been knocked out a few times in his career, you know, a minute, a couple minutes. So maybe that one. And then flying under the radar, probably not going to hit. But like maybe worth a look would be Miranda Maverick simply because she's Mm -hmm. plus 1,600. And the last time she fought her, she choked her out in two and a half minutes. It was pretty effortless. She's gone a lot better since. Young's gotten a little bit better since. Maverick might just go in there and do the same thing. Early takedown, a little bit of ground and pound, take the back, secure a choke. And so at plus 1,600, it's not one that's going to immediately jump out at you as being like, oh, that, that that's like a huge chance of hitting, but actually does have a legitimate chance of hitting. There you go. All right, let's get to our three best prop bets here, and then we'll get out of here. I'll kick things off as I normally do. 
first of which I got to go with that Usman round four or five decision prop minus 155 is what you can get on that. Again, not a lot of books carry that, but I really do like it in case there is an off chance that Edwards does start to slow down a little bit too much. And then Usman just turns up the, the, the heat just a little bit too much and is able to get him out of there in round four or five. But if you don't have any access to those, I don't mind the just straight up decision on Usman as well, which would be closer to even money. Secondly, I'll go with Aldo via KO plus 450. I really like that spot. I do think that he is a nightmare matchup for Marab, at least on the feet. If he can, you know, he's definitely going to get taken down, but as long as he can continue to get back to his feet, I think he'll eventually land those big shots and eventually get him out of there. So plus 450, count me in. Lastly, I got to go with the Alto Moreno and Lacerda or De Silva, whatever the fuck you want to call him. I'm going to go with the under two and a half there at minus 175. A little bit chalky, but considering that Lacerda has never seen a third round in his professional career, has never seen the judges' scorecards in his professional career, Alto Moreno has the striking advantage here and the cardio advantage to put it on Lacerda going into that second and third round, and I think he could eventually get him out of there. Or... Lacerda could just win in round one, which you could also take him uh, round one prop. I think it currently sits around plus 600 for him to win inside of round one. So, uh, But I like the under two and a half, covers both sides, but I do think Galt Moreno gets it done a little bit later. All right, Cody, let's hear what you got. Yeah, I'm not too far off. I'm going to go with Usman by decision. Decide to just take up a straight-up decision and get a slightly better price, minus 120. Again, I think championship quality. We know what he's capable of doing, and Leon Edwards durable enough to last the five rounds for the most part. So, yeah, I think if Usman's going to win, he probably grinds him out and just more volume, wins a decision, minus 120. Sign me up for that. Moving on, we're going to take Costa Rockhold under 1.5 at plus 105. Listen, this one's pretty self-explanatory. Uh-huh. Rockhold's either going to get knocked out in the first round by something that hits him that's going to be large and very, very powerful. So why not just take the Paulo Costa by knockout? Well, first of all, it's not a very good price tag. Second of all, Rockhold's not a fish out of water. He's not. It's not a dead dog conclusion that he's done. I, I think there's a possibility that if he trips him up and gets on top, he smokes him. I'm going with, with Costa. I think Costa knocks him out. But just to cover me on the other side, <laughs> plus 105 under one and a half it looks good both ways so i'll be taking that and then finally we need a little bit of more plus money uh so i don't think woodson's spelled correctly it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah maybe it is uh by decision plus 130 sean woodson volume guy i know he's coming off a knockout win over colin anglin but for the most part you see he sets up his punches throws combinations works the body a lot of touch and go doesn't really settle down on anything particular and I, I think that's the case here. He's got, a, he's got a tough opponent in front of him in Luis Saldana in that Saldana should be able to take the shots. He will tire out. He will fatigue. I am going to be clenching my butthole that third round as he's tired and curled over and Woodson's still coming at him. But ultimately, I do think he survives. And so Woodson plus 130 getting that decision. I know I'm not taking one of these crazy shots going for third round finish or something nuts, but I suppose if I was going to take one of them, it would be the Tyson Pedro by submission at plus 300. But uh, this is what I've got listed as my most confident stuff, most likely to hit. There you guys go. Three best prop bets from me and my boy, Cody Safdick. Appreciate everybody joining us on this Thursday afternoon. As always, uh, remember, pay-per-view starts, or sorry, a main a prelim card kicks off at 6 p.m. Eastern this weekend, so don't get caught slacking there. Uh, Cody, Anything you want to say on the back end, and then I'll wrap this bad boy up. No, dude, I got two lights here and here, and I'm sweating. You <laughs> I see can this? see it, bro. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got sweating as we got to the main car, but I was like, what am I going to do? And I'm trying to wipe my face. So I'm like, man, people probably look like, 
Like, I look like a pig crying? in heat. Like, I look like a pig in heat. So, <laughs> no, I'm happy to get after it, man. I'm happy to get after it. I think the props look good. I think some of the matchups look good. And again, you know, there is a LFA, there is a PFL, there is a KSW. Yep. There's a couple other spots that you could be smart this weekend and uh, attack it uh, from a profitable standpoint. So contender series, I only got my top ticket this week, but it's like plus 123, and that's okay with me. I'm okay with that. If I can just hit the top ticket, and, I, and especially if that top ticket's plus money, we'll be okay. But people want to see the profits. People want to see the money. People want to see the PRP. So PRP. for that reason, yeah, I got to put my best foot forward and get her done. So today's Thursday. We still got all of Friday and then Saturday. And again, I tweet them out Saturday one to give you the most latest up-to-date odds because I don't like those guys that are like, well, I would have played it Tuesday, which I got the price of this. Fuck off, man. What's the price right now? Would you play it right now? <laughs> so, most But also, yeah, put their action watch weigh-ins, see what Costa looks like, see what some of the other fighters look like, and then also just – Try to do as much research. Try to stay up to date. Try to check out the social media. Try to talk to people in their camp. Try to get the feel. And uh, yeah, and then make the best educated guess you can, right? There you guys go. As always, make sure you guys follow Cody on Twitter at CJ Slavtick, and you guys can get all of his thoughts on there, not to mention the PRP and all the parlay pieces that he likes to put together. Uh, myself, you guys can follow me at MMALOTN on Twitter and Instagram. More so on Twitter, though. I'm not much of an Instagram guy at all. I tried. I can't do it. I'm just, I don't know. I'm photo. Yeah. Like, I'm not photogly, photogenically inclined. I don't know. I just hate using pictures. This is fucking talk and use text on Twitter. That's why we like Twitter. But I uh, appreciate everybody checking out the show. As always, we'll be back not next week, but the following week because there's no UFC event next week. We are we finally have an off week where we can just sit back, let our hair down, and just chill the hell out. Uh, but we are back for UFC Paris, which is going to be the first week of September. So we'll make sure to catch you guys on what is that Wednesday, August 31st, or sorry, uh, sorry, Thursday, uh, September 1st. So make sure you guys come in and tune in for that as well. Uh, for myself and Cody, appreciate everybody checking it out as always. Hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already, and we will see you guys in two weeks. Good luck on your bets this weekend. And peace out.